0: It's that time, the Betting Predators podcast, where our main objective is hunting down the best bets for you. I'm your host, Sleepy J. You guys can find me on Twitter at Sleepy J underscore pregame. Joined here by the fantasy football expert, Chris Dell. You guys can find him on Twitter as well, at Mad Journalist. It is M-A-D-D Journalist. And you can find us at bettingpredators.com and the best sports betting information site on the web, pregame.com. With that said, let's jump into NFL week number three, guys. We're going to go ahead and do our money picks pod myself. And Chris, we'll go ahead, we'll dive in, we'll talk about the DFS season-long and all our player props that we will go through for each and every NFL game. Chris, uh, NFL Week 3, uh, we have two weeks under our belt, so it's a good little sample size of you know what we expect, things that were a little bit foggy, uh, are looking a little bit clear now, I would imagine, especially for somebody like you who are, you know, you're digging into each and every game, trying to find the players, you know, what, who's getting the usage and, and all that stuff like that. So, you know, going into Week 3, Chris, I don't know if you feel as good as I do, but I feel really good that I have a lot of information. I feel confident in a lot of stuff that that I'm giving out right now and that I'm betting, you know, our Thursday night football game. We ended up going like six and oh with our props that we went ahead and posted. So it seems like we're all tracking. and we're all feeling pretty good right now. So I would assume, you know, especially after a good Thursday night that you're feeling pretty good right now, you know, about NFL week three.
1: I'm feeling good, Sleepy. Um, Last week was kind of a learning week for me. Week one was solid. I had 60% of my props personally, so it was a good week there. Week two, I did really good, except there was two games I hit wrong on, and I went super heavy on a couple correlated props with the Colts running backs and the Washington football team running backs. And if it wasn't for those two backfields that I bet on, I would have had another winning week, but I wound up having a losing week personally on my props in week two. But I feel good because other than those two misses, uh, I hit a lot of things right. So my kind of lesson learned, and, and I feel really good. Any, anytime I do have a loss like that where it really makes me sit back and learn from it and become a smarter, better down the road in the long term because you always have to deal with those ups and downs. But it felt really good to come out the gates good tonight on Thursday Night Football. We had a 5-0 and night overall on our betting Predators premium prop plays. Uh, if you're not familiar with our premium package, just go to bettingpredators.com backslash premium. Every time one of us makes a bet, we drop it a uh, player prop bet, et cetera. We drop it into our private discord channel for subscribers. So we were on Chub- uh, Chuba Hubbard tonight. We had a couple props on him. Terrace Marshall, longest reception over Mark Ingram, longest rush under and Brandon cooks, which is a prop I gave out about two hours after Monday night football ended. So I was in the lab, getting ready for week three as soon as Monday night ended with the Green Bay Packers and Detroit Lions game there. So uh, overall, you know, I'm ready to attack week three, week three. I feel really good about it. I feel like our analysis on pretty much every team has been pretty solid so far and we're learning from the things that we see on the field. So I'm ready to go here and uh, I got a lot of things that I like on this weekend slate with this weekend slate. And I feel really good about the data we have under our belts to back up the picks that we're going to be making.
0: All right, well, let's go ahead. Let's jump into our first game here, Chris. First game's going to be Baltimore Ravens, Detroit Lions. Detroit Lions, are going to be a home underdog here. They're going to be catching plus eight points here, Chris. Total 50, sort of expecting some points in this one. I'm going to go ahead and let you rip and run here. First, Baltimore, Detroit, what do you got going?
1: Yeah, Baltimore and Detroit, for me, it's the question mark of what's going to be the health, the health of the wide receiver situation. Marquise Brown was missing practice earlier this week. Right now, it's unknown whether he is going to play. And the reason why is because Marquise Brown's really been coming on since the end of last season. When kind of entering 2020, the first half of the year, he was kind of a fantasy bust. Uh, but he's really been good this season. He's getting the targets. He's emerging as the number one receiving option uh, ahead of Sammy Watkins, ahead of Mark Andrews. And he gets a really good matchup against a Lions secondary that's been burned against both the San Francisco 49ers and against the Green Bay Packers here in week two. So without their best defensive uh, the defensive player, Jeff Okuda, whose season ended due to an Achilles injury in week one. So his, his his backup is a guy that, honestly, I don't think even 1% of the people who do podcasts can even pronounce his name, so I'm not even going to try to do it. But they have an undrafted free agent back there as well, trying to fill the void left by Okuda's absence. So whoever's going to be the wide receiver one, for the Baltimore Ravens in this matchup. I I do like that matchup advantageously a lot there. Um, In terms of other props that, you know, Steve and I do a a deep dive recap podcast every week, sometime between Sunday and Tuesday uh, when all the games are over for the week. And one prop that I had circled from the beginning was Tyson Williams. He's a guy that I'm going to be really high on in DFS. Uh, He's a guy that comes in at modest ownership projections, uh, modest price tag as well. And I think this is a game where the Lions' defense is so bad, this could be a a get-right spot for the Ravens' defense as well. And if the Ravens' defense can get ahead of things and really cause some havoc uh, for the Lions' offense, they just might rely on the run and rely on their young running back to make things happen. So to me, I look at a guy like Tyson Williams. He's had 65-plus yards rushing in each of the first two weeks, and those were in two very competitive ball games. They haven't even been, been able to play with the heavy game script so if he's been able to get to the 65, 75-plus rushing yard marker in each of those two games with how efficient and explosive uh, he's been so far, he gets his best matchup in terms of the opposing defensive line, and he gets his best potential game script in this week three matchup as well. So I like Tyson Williams over on his rushing yards, and I also do really like him a lot as a tournament play in DFS because I really think he's going to go low owned compared to the rest of the field. That's, that's my favorite play so far uh, for this game in week three.
0: You know what, I'm going to do for this particular game here, Chris? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to look at some of the kicker props. And more importantly, it's probably going to be, you know, the Detroit Lion kicker, Austin Siebert. And I want to go ahead and run through a couple things here. They have him lined right now on DraftKings.com, over and under one and a half points, extra points made. And it's minus 140. But if you look at his field goals, it's over and under one and a half at plus 110. But his kicking points is at five and a half minus 130. So let's just say he makes his two extra point attempts and he goes out and he kicks one field goal. Well, that puts him at five, but that puts him short of over five and a half minus 130. But there is some juice on the over. So I'm kind of wondering, like, what's going on here with this? The, the lines are a little bit goofy, and I got to go back to last week to when Detroit clearly had a chance to go ahead and chop into the Green Bay lead, where they could have went ahead and made a field goal. And they opted to go forward on fourth down. That fourth down attempt failed. And I believe that that was maybe the turning point in the game you know, for Detroit. So I'm probably going to go ahead and say that the Lions won't gamble as much this week. And one of the reasons I think that they do get down you know, it, within field goal range, I'm not really super high on that Baltimore secondary. You know, It's banged up. It hasn't been healthy. That defense hasn't looked right. Teams have been putting up a decent amount of yardage. So I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to play Austin Siebert. Uh, over field goals made. I believe he probably gets two in this one. And if I could get plus 110 instead of paying, you know, minus 140, minus 130 for the other two options, uh, I think that's kind of a no-brainer. Let's jump over to Cardinals and the Jaguars. Jaguars are going to be another home underdog here, plus 7.5 for the Jags. Total 51.5. Chris, I like Arizona in a teaser. I think you got to get them down to minus one, get them down to a pick If I feel minus one is perfectly fine, I think that team has a really good potential to go and blow out, you know, this Jaguars team. But if the Jaguars are close, they're probably gonna pull out every stop. They're gonna pull out everything in the kitchen sink. So I would just be wary of uh, plugging in plays where the Jacksonville Jaguars have, you know, running backs looking for passes or running backs looking for rushing yards. Just be careful with that particular game when it comes to, you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars trying to, you know, just try to be a wise guy and try to fade some of the goofy stuff it wouldn't surprise me if Jacksonville throws a kitchen sink here at the Cardinals. So I'll let you go ahead and talk on that one first, Arizona Jaguars. What are you thinking?
1: I mean, you got to love the spot for the Arizona Cardinals. I mean, they've come out the gates just firing all on all cylinders with their offense from Kyler Murray to the play calling from Cliff Kingsbury to the rookie wide receiver, Rondale Moore. I mean, Deandre Hopkins, you know, you haven't really heard his name that much. It's because everyone else has been doing what they need to do. So I'm very impressed with this offense here. And I think the only thing that's really holding them back from having a complete smash spot is the fact that, you know, can the Jaguars even compete and keep up? And I'm really worried about that. It it, it makes me want to mute the projections just a tiny bit on the Arizona side of things, because I, I could see them coming out to a multi touchdown lead at the half or in the third quarter, and they just might need not need to put their foot on the gas pedal in the fourth, which could limit some of their overall numbers and the overall ceiling there. So when I look at this game overall, the main things that I, I do want to look at, uh, it is the wide receivers for Arizona to see if I can find any value on these guys overall. Uh, Rondale Moore, obviously is a player that, you know, he had the 70 plus yard touchdown. It pretty much broke in coverage in week two, but he's a guy that we've been high on as far as back to the offseason. We talked about him in our mock draft episodes in our fantasy podcast and all the stuff we did leading up to the regular season here. So I'm not seeing any lines for a guy like Rondell Moore on the board right now. Uh, you know, I don't know exactly if there's an injury that I'm overlooking that we're waiting on to see here, uh, but that's an area that I think that I would like to attack personally because this Jaguars secondary is one of the worst in the NFL here. Uh, another thing that I would look to attack possibly is the fact that the Cardinals' defensive line right now is ranked number six in the NFL. Jaguars ranked near the bottom in terms of 20th or worst. Uh, So, you know, obviously Arizona edge rusher Chandler Jones, I think he's going to have his way with this offensive line. For me, I'd be really interested in doing a double stack with Kyler Murray, stacking him with DeAndre Hopkins and with Rondale Moore, because I think people are going to be a little down on DeAndre Hopkins compared to what he's done the last couple weeks. I think he might be a little banged up right now, questionable on the injury report. All indications are to me that he's going to be play. He's going to play and he's going to be fine. Uh, and if you can bring him back with the number one receiving weapon on the other side, who's been uh, undoubtedly has been Marvin Jones. Uh, I think that could be a really sneaky stack in a game where, uh, you know, even, it, even though it could be a blowout, the Jaguars might be really pushing the pace on the other side of things. So that's kind of where I'm looking for this game. And then defensive props is something I haven't got a chance to dive into too much on this yet sleepy, but I did have circle from my week two notes that I did want to look at sack props and turnover props in regards to Zach Wilson, because uh, he's been tur- a little bit turnover prone to see the least. And with the amount of pressure that I expect, um, you know, Arizona to get on him, I-, I could definitely see those things racking up, even though right now the juice is just too much to swallow. You're seeing over zero and a half interceptions at minus 245. I'm just not going to touch that. All
0: right. Saw stuff from there from Chris. And unfortunately, you know, we don't have, you know, really any Cardinals props. I was hoping to go in there, Chris, and find the AJ green receptions again, lined at four and a half. And it's, you know. It's not there, so I'll certainly go ahead and keep an eye out for that. I think the one play I would make here, Chris, is probably like a Chase Edmonds prop. Maybe I'll look at his attempts over. I mean, his attempts right now are at 10.5, and and I understand that there may be a a situation to where you know the Cardinals get out to a decent lead, and and maybe they bring Connor out or whatever, but I, I believe at some point the Cardinals have to go ahead and they really have to focus on you know who's going to be their main back who's going to be their guy for the rest of the season and get him work and just get those plays into the playbook and this is a perfect game for that i think a lot of people are going to flock you know probably to you know murray since he's been doing so well and look i think murray will probably do well in, in hopkins and the rest of the crew but i really believe that this is a game to which the cardinals can go out there and try to run the ball effectively against you know a bad jacksonville jaguar defense who might Ratings right now have them twenty seventh defensive line in the league, and right now I think they're giving up maybe the twenty sixth most rushing yards. Um, just eyeballing it right now on the stats on ESPN. So let me go ahead and play Edmonds over his rushing attempts at ten and a half. I think he's going to get a good run in the first quarter, good run in the second in the second quarter. And look, if this game's not a blowout, uh, I don't see any way that I don't that I don't cash this one it'll eventually probably end up being the Cardinals chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And I believe they're going to, you know, look more to, to try to smooth out that playbook, try to go ahead and get, you know, get the running attack going because um, the rushing attack, you know, hasn't been exactly elite, but the passing attack has been great. So it's like, what more do they need to do? No, what do they really want to show on tape, you know, for the next game? I don't believe it's a whole lot. I think they'll, they'll focus on some running, so.
1: Sleepy, one thing to keep an eye out for, because this is a prop that we hit last week, and it seemed like kind of one of those spicy unders that you're going to be sweating until the end of the game, but to me, it was an easy cash from the beginning. I don't even know why the books put this out, to be honest, was James Conner had a a one-and-a-half reception prop, and we played the under on that close to even money. He hasn't had a target in two games, so I would assume he's not going to be listed, but if you see any James Conner receiving yards, reception props – I don't care if it's zero and a half or like six and a half yards. I think you have to play the under, especially when we're expecting that heavy of a game script here, to where I actually think the blowout's going to work in your favor with the Edmonds rushing attempts prop. If you look at week one, Chase Edmonds had 12 carries when the Cardinals beat the Titans 38 to 13. He only had eight carries last week, but that's because the Cardinals actually wind up playing from behind for a little bit of that second half. So they started throwing into extra pass happy offensive mode there. So Uh, I I think that lends perfectly into that to where you're going to look for both these running backs, I think, to go over their rushing attempts. And then James Conner, again, he's just not involved in the passing game whatsoever. Zero targets in two games, barely running any routes. So keep an eye on that just in case one of the books slips up and puts that out there again.
0: All right. Good stuff on that one. Let's go ahead and jump into our next game here. Chris, uh, let's do Washington. Let's do Buffalo. We got Washington. Uh, They're going to be plus seven and a half here on the road. Bill's seven and a half point favorite here at home. We got a total of 46 for this particular game. I'm not necessarily sure what to do. I believe this line opened up at like Washington plus nine. I think I used that on my pregame.com like super contest pick uh, pretty much immediately. Now I know you had talked a little bit about the Washington backfield, Chris, uh, just a moment ago. I'm curious if you're going to go ahead and look at them. Um, you know, for this particular game, I see a lot of people now, Chris, picking up McKissick uh, in, in a lot of fantasy leagues. Not sure if you necessarily agree with that. I got to go back to the last time this team played. You know, I was kind of high on Taylor Heineke going into you know the game against the game against the Giants, and I I'll probably look at him again. Is it his passing yards for this game are like two hundred forty four and a half? I know the Bills have a good defense, but I'm not necessarily sure that Washington's going to be able to probably run the ball totally effective in this game and I could see them being in you know a situation where you know they're getting seven and a half points you know line open nine where you know they could be down a decent amount Heineke threw the ball off the top of my head without even having stats in front of me I think like about 48 times last game for like 300 and some yards so uh, I think this game script actually sets up pretty good maybe for Heineke to go ahead and throw you no know, over his yardage I don't think he's a back quarterback I think a lot of people just they just don't know who he is and think he's a bum. But you know what? They won last week. He played really well. So I would look at that. And uh, why don't you go ahead touch on the running back situation um, for this week and maybe you know talk about McKissick maybe picking him up in your lineup.
1: Yeah, I mean, if, if you're in a deeper league, 12-team league, 14-team league, et cetera, he's, he's worth a pickup for sure if he's on your waivers. I don't even know if he's, if he's on waivers in a lot of leagues that size. He's pretty high-owned from the start of the draft season. So I think maybe – In a 10-team league, you might be available to where, hey, if you're in a full PPR format, go ahead and pick them up. But look, the the rushing touchdown that McKissick got was fluky. They were running the two-minute offense right at the end of the first half. So, you know, Gibson seemed like they were a little bit uh, reluctant to use him as much as they did in week one because he had been coming into that game on a short week uh, listed on the injury report with a shoulder injury. So I think in certain situations, they were like, you know what? We're already in the two-minute offense. That's McKissick's role to begin with. You know, we're not going to sub him off the field at the goal line. Let's just run him in there. And, and it worked out well. And for, obviously for fantasy managers who own Gibson, we're a little frustrated at that. For me, my biggest mistake in that game was basically the trend lines and the process was right. And the fact that Heineke with McKissick, uh, he has not been a quarterback to check down to his running backs. But the problem was that I was on Washington in that game and Washington came out early and they got behind. And I was not expecting them to be playing from behind so early. So you see those two-minute drill, long down and distance, third down situations, McKissick's on the field way more than he was in week one and way more than he was towards the end of last year when Heineke was the quarterback for a few games. So um, those props correlated with the Gibson rushing attempts over, which didn't hit last Thursday night. So that's where I got myself into a little bit of trouble. But those are the reasons why I believe it played out the way it did. And look, Gibson in a positive game script, he's going to be one of those borderline top 10 top five running backs because he will be used around the goal line as long as it's not in the last two minutes of a half so the the roles are clear in this offense is that and they're actually targeting Gibson more than they did last year he's running more routes he's getting more targets but those those routes and targets are coming on first and second down they're not coming on third downs that's when McKissick It's coming into the game. So that's the clear distinction that you want to make there. If you're looking at a game here where you're on the Bills and you like the Bills and you think Washington will be playing from behind, then absolutely you will see a lot of McKissick on the field and you will see his usage bump up just like it did in week two. So that's my overall thoughts there. I'm not too high on Washington's offense in this game other than the fact that I think Terry McLaurin to me is just an auto start and he has that type of ceiling. This game could be a sneaky type of shootout in terms of overall pace. Um, the, uh, the, the pace of the Washington football team with Taylor Heineke, they've operated at a very quick no huddle rate. 27% of their snaps versus 8% no huddle with Taylor Heineke versus without. They, they ran 20 more plays on Thursday night football last week than they did in week one. So you're seeing an offense that's willing to push the ball downfield more, willing to run no uh, uh, more, no huddle. And I think you're going to see games benefit. Like we're getting here where the bills are going to come out pass happy. Washington's going to come out pass happy as well. So I'm expecting a lot of fantasy goodness. And this is a game that I think could go really low owned because off, off on paper, you're going to think, Oh, bills, decent defense, Washington, really good front four. People might be afraid to attack this in DFS tournaments here. Uh, Prop wise to me, I think you can stack it, uh, you know, prop DFS wise. I think you absolutely want to look at stacking Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs because Stefan Diggs, people are starting to sleep on him. He's like number 22 overall in fantasy. He's had a couple relatively down games. He hasn't scored a touchdown yet. But let's not forget at the underlying numbers here. Stefan Diggs last week had um, 258 air yards through two weeks. That's the seventh most in the NFL. He's had over 100 air yards in each of the first two weeks. And then if you look at overall, you know, he basically played half a game last week against Miami. The Bills blew them out 35-0. to They didn't need to press press the issue with their starters in the second half. So I look for a big bounce back game here uh, from Stephon Diggs against the Washington football team. Sleepy, we think about their pass rush and their front four. Their, their secondary is rated by PFF as one of the worst in the league. So I think Stephon Diggs is going to have a massive game in here. And I really like his receptions prop. Uh, overall at six and a half. You can get that at plus money at points bet. Uh, That was one of the props I gave out earlier this week in our discord channel. Uh, When you look at the fact that digs closed the 2020 regular season with eight straight games of seven plus catches, six of his last eight games last year, he had nine plus catches. What did he do in week one? He had nine catches, 94 yards on 10 targets. And we're just starting to give up on him because he had a down week two in a game. He barely played in the second half. So to me, I'm all over Stefan Diggs DFS, high ceiling. I might have him ranked inside the top three, top four this week, even ahead of guys like Calvin Ridley, maybe even like a Tyree kill. I really think the ceiling is that high for Diggs uh, in week three. So that's, that's the area I'm looking to attack the most is the wide receiver ones, Terry McLaurin on Washington and Stefan Diggs for Buffalo.
0: Yeah. You bring up a good point there, Chris. It's like, it's been two weeks. You see all kinds of overreactions and it's like, just, you know, kind of relax a little bit. Here's a play that I kind of like I know Zach Moss wasn't in week one, but he was in week two. And he's the guy that's getting the touches in the red zone. You know, he ended up having two touchdowns last week. And he talked about the Washington secondary, you know, not being very good. And I think that Josh Allen more than likely is going to be able to get Buffalo down the field. Uh, Potentially, you know, we we might see a flag in the end zone and we get Moss, you know, to go ahead and and bust it over to over to goal line and, and get in there one way or another. But it just seems like he's kind of the vulture right now to Devin Singletary. Like, I, I would much rather go ahead and take a Zach Moss at plus 210 to score a touchdown versus Devin Singletary, you know, at plus 140. I just, I, I don't think there's any value. I would actually think it would be, you know, maybe flip flopped would make more sense because if this guy's getting all the touches in the red zone or especially near the goal line, uh, he should be the guy that's favored. And I do believe Buffalo will get down there, you know, multiple times in the red zone, especially near the goal line, you know, against this Washington defense. So, uh, I don't have any particular props that I like, but that is probably one that I'll go ahead and look at uh, Zach Moss to go ahead and score a touchdown at plus 210. Not sure how you feel about that, Chris. I know you don't like necessarily touchdown props, but I don't know how you don't like Moss in the red zone more than you like Singletary.
1: Just be careful with Moss. Even in fantasy league season long is that he was a healthy scratch in week one. And he didn't see hardly any of his work in week two until it was a full-scale blowout with Jacoby Brissett under center. So I'm a little bit worried that that could have been just junk time. And the reports had a training camp where that Singletary absolutely separated himself from Moss on that depth chart, which is why we saw Moss as a healthy scratch in week one. And Matt Breida was the RB2 there. So I do think Moss is very talented. I liked him as a rookie coming out last year, but just be very cal- careful that in a close game, he might not have that job locked down. uh, But maybe they reward him for the good performance in week two. I don't know. That would be my main caution there. You know, plus 210 is halfway decent. Um, Even tonight, Sleepy, I mean, touchdown props can go sideways on you so fast. I I knew a lot of people, uh, sharp people that were on Sam Darnold over one and a half touchdowns, and they said it was like a layup prop. But so many things can go sideways. Like you said, you know, a a pass interference penalty all of a sudden on a gimme touchdown, and then the offense gets the ball at the one. And then Darnold winds up getting two rushing touchdowns instead of two passing touchdowns, finishes with zero passing touchdowns. So that's my hesitation on betting props like that. I'd much rather rely on the usage overall, and I'm just not sure if I trust the usage from Moss yet to make a bet, although he absolutely is worth a stash. You know, dynasty leagues, he should already be on your roster. He should have never been dropped in the first place. Season-long managed leagues, definitely worth a spot on your bench as a stash in, in deeper formats.
0: Well, you know, going out there and saying that a prop is a layup or a prop is a lock is, let's just say it's kind of a rookie mistake. Um, those are guys you want to be careful of following because there's nothing easy, you know, in this game. And, and Chris and I will tell you that that there are props that, that should probably cash, that don't. And then there are some that, you know, don't come close. And it was like, you know, hey, maybe it was a 50-50 prop at the end of the day. But certainly, you know, there are no layups and there are no locks, uh, no matter, you know, what you're no matter what your plan, playing. Um, you know, we saw one tonight, Chris, that looked like a layup, right? You know, Christian McCaffrey over, what, 99.5 rushing and receiving yards. You know, there were some books out there putting that prop up, and guys went all in on that probably too. And, you know, there is you got to be careful sometimes. Nothing's a layup, and nothing is for sure a lock. But, uh, you know, we go ahead, we try, we do our damnedest. Let's jump over to Chargers and Chiefs, Chris. Chiefs can be minus 6.5, total 54.5. Uh, they expect a lot of points in this one. I don't know what to do with this one, man. Like, the Chargers have me a little bit confused. They look a little bit sluggish. And the Chiefs, they seem like they're an offense that's probably not going to slow down by any means. It's funny, Chris, last week I was like, I'm betting that. I'm going ahead. I'm taking Eckler under his receptions. He didn't have any receptions in week one. No way is he going to go ahead and go in, you know. And then we were talking, like, could be the coach, could be the quarterback, da 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 I don't even know how. I, I stopped counting Chris last week after he had, like, eight. I'm like, Eckler already got eight receptions. I look like an idiot. So, uh, again, you know, even the data sometimes tells you that, you know, some things are layups, but they're not. So um, I don't know how you feel about that, Chris, but my gut feeling is look at Eckler because that Chiefs rush defense is absolutely brutal, and I believe any any guy can run on them. So I'll probably be looking at some Eckler props here. I'll let you go first. I'll dig into some numbers here and see what I could find.
1: Well, one of my favorite props when this was one of the first games that they released the lines for a couple days ago, and that's something we've been seeing that's new compared to last year's. We've been getting lines a lot earlier in the week, and that's one of the reasons we're moving this podcast earlier as opposed to late Friday night like we did last season, but uh, one of the first props I gave in our Discord channel right away for our subscribers was uh, I really like Mike Williams a lot, over 63.5 receiving yards, and I know that I think that's been steamed up a little bit. I think DraftKings has 71 and a half. Last I looked, um, I think FanDuel, you might be able to get a decent number there. I believe it's 66 and a half. I'm looking at the Fantasy Labs uh, prop line tracker. I just want to double check here on DraftKings to make sure that that's accurate here uh, as we're talking. But I like uh, Mike Williams to go 70 plus yards in this game. I've got him projected close to 80 yards. And even that could be a little bit of like a, a kind of like a humble projection, so to speak. Uh, This guy is locked into a one, a one B type of role. And Joe Lombardi coming into this offense sleepy. He talked about two things in his experience with the saints is that he wanted to look at Mike, um, Mike Williams as Michael Thomas. And we all remember the role Michael Thomas played in that saints offense. He wanted to look at, at Austin Eckler like an Alvin Kamara. And honestly, that's been pretty accurate through two weeks. Now, throw away the fluke that was week one where Eckler didn't get a target. And look, I can totally understand it. And you know, this, you know, this well, as anyone sleepy, like you've been following Justin Herbert and you've been a fan of his too. Like he's the guy that's not afraid to push the ball down the field. So I think if you give him any opportunity to not check it down, you know, that's what he's going to do. He doesn't want to check it down, but you know, he's, he's going to play smart and, Dallas actually has a better defense than a lot of us want to think. And I think we'll start to realize that as we move along through the weeks here. But I think that the Dallas defensive pressure got to him a little bit and he had to check down a little more than usual. And you saw Austin Eckler go back to his normal receiving role. Um, But Mike Williams to me is a guy we want to continue to attack Uh, again. Like we always talk about buying low and selling high in fantasy, but I think there's sometimes you want to buy high on guys. And honestly, for me, I would go and buy high on Mike Williams because this is a guy that you probably drafted in like rounds eight, nine, 10, maybe like at the highest round seven. And right now, I'm going to guess he's going to command a, a price tag and a trade of like around maybe rounds four or five. And he could be worth a round two or round three pick next year because the talent has always been there the size, the athleticism, the speed, everything about him. And now you have a, a reliable quarterback in Herbert. And now he's being used in underneath routes, intermediate routes, as opposed to just running straight down the field with Phillip Rivers throwing ducks at him. Uh, This could be a huge breakout year for Mike Williams. And, you know, he could be a guy where usually we say wide receivers break out in year two, year three. You know, sometimes there's exceptions to the rule. and, And I think we're seeing it right now. And I'm not trying to overreact, but the talent's there. The role is there. And him and Keenan Allen, they're going to finish right right next to each other in terms of targets, receptions, yards, and everything. And Mike Williams is more of a touchdown threat because of his size. So I would not be surprised to finish the year and Mike Williams has more fantasy points than Keenan Allen, not to say Allen's going to be a bust at all. Uh, that's just how much of a smash that Mike Williams could be based on his usage so far. So to me, you want to hit that FanDuel line, 66.5. Uh, I see value in Mike Williams up over 69.5, over 70.5. I'd even play half unit probably up to 73 and a half. So I I think that he's in a smash spot this weekend. I think the matchup is great. Um, And that's a prop I've been on since the beginning of the week. So that's the number one place I'm looking. Uh, And other than that, I mean, you know, I think Tyree Kill, you got to look to him as a bounce back in DFS. Like one of the most successful stacks in DraftKings over the last couple of years that, that the majority of the field simply does not play enough is the double stack with Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. It's too expensive, quote unquote, But if you play it, you're going to win money more often than not. So that's something I'm definitely going to be looking to go to, maybe bringing it back with either one of Keenan Allen or Mike Williams and maybe make a couple different lineups just based around that game alone.
0: We made some pretty good points there, Chris. I'm glad because I have Mike Williams in my DFS and I have him in my season long. And I used him the last two weeks and I don't foresee myself taking him out. I, I kind of think Austin Eckler has some value. Over 55 and a half rush yards. Uh, right. I don't believe he's got a whole lot of, you know, usage this year on the ground. But th- that Chiefs rush defense is just so freaking bad. It's it's terrible. And I don't I don't think the Chargers probably are playing from behind by a ton in this game to where they have to go away from Eckler. I think the way that the Chargers probably stay close in this one is using Eckler as much as possible. And I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to make that play, Chris, over the 55 and a half rush rushing yards for Eckler I think there's value in that and a lot of it just comes down to I just feel like the Chiefs rush defense is just absolutely brutal and in a way Chris I kind of think that they may not really care that their rush defense is that bad and I look at this like kind of like the Muhammad Ali kind of rope-a-dope kind of thing where the Chiefs know that if you get into a shootout with them that that's great that that's kind of what they want but the more plays that you run you're going to make a mistake. And when you have somebody like Patrick Mahomes on the other side, more than likely he's going to make you pay for that. And if you turn the ball over once or you turn the ball over twice, well, now you just gave a very good football team, you know, a couple extra possessions. And that's how they're kind of going to beat you. They're going to beat you when you make mistakes because they're going to make you pay for them. So I don't think they care really about giving up rushing yards. It's like, you know what, if it takes you 13 plays to get down the field and we leave, you know, the door open for you to run a little bit, Well, then it's just it's more opportunities for you to screw up and make a mistake. That's kind of the way that kind of the way I feel about it. So um, I'll go ahead. I'll play Eckler over the fifty five and a half. I'm not sure how you feel about that, Chris, but I was wrong on him last week completely. So I figure why not go back to the well on Eckler again?
1: Yeah, I, I like it. Uh, my only concern would be if, if the Chiefs come, you know, bounce back spot for the Chiefs back, back at home after losing on prime time to the Ravens there. Tyree Kill could get loose. I mean, this Chargers secondary is, is, isn't that great overall either. I mean, they're pretty solid. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I think that they're Tyree Kill is going to have a lot more room to operate uh, compared to what he did last week, obviously, when the Ravens were basically like double teaming him on every play. Um, but you look at the Browns in week one, the Browns lost to the Chiefs and they had 153 rushing yards overall. Chubb had 83, and then you look at last week, the Ravens had 250-plus yards. Obviously, Lamar Jackson ran for 100-plus, but the run, the just the three running backs alone for the Ravens wound up getting 142 yards. Uh, with Tyson Williams, as I mentioned earlier, he had 13 carries for 77 yards, e- even with Latavius Murray still getting nine carries, even with Devonta Freeman, You know, good old Devonta Freeman coming in off the street and ripping off a 31 yard gain. So a guy's explosive as Eckler, again, in that in that Alvin Kamara type of role, it, type of role, I think that's absolutely a beatable number uh, for somebody like him. So I I do like that prop. And again, you know, people might be a little cautious about double stacking the Chargers in this game compared to last week. Like that Chargers Cowboys game, Sleepy, like that let a lot of people down. Like that was the chalk of all chalk stacks. And people who faded that game in tournaments on DraftKings wind up winning for the most part. So I wouldn't hesitate to go back to a Justin Herbert double stack with his two receivers, maybe even Eckler instead of one of the receivers, and then bringing it back with Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. So I think there's a lot of bait. There's a lot of explosive guys in the NFL right now that have had some down weeks that they could go off for like 152 touchdowns on any given moment. A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Tyreek Hill, all three of those guys fall within that bucket. So that's kind of what I'm looking to do is to take advantage uh, and and, and try to hit some of these bounce back spots for receivers this week.
0: All right. It's all stuff on that one. Let's jump over to the next game here, Chris. We're going to go to – let's go to Chicago and Cleveland. Cleveland right now, they're going to go ahead. They're going to be minus seven and a half point favorite here at home. We have a total of 45. Let me go ahead and give you my first prop. And then I'll let you go ahead and talk, and then I want to circle back to one of the running back props that I like here. Look, I think Baker Mayfield is improving each and every year, but for this particular game, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play his passing yards under 243 and a half. And one of the big reasons is, well, now you, now you take out Jarvis Landry, and I believe that that's going to be a big hurt. And I understand that Odell Beckham's coming back and, and, and all that crazy you know good stuff. But I have to wonder, what kind of rapport does Beckham have right now with, you know, with Mayfield? Will Mayfield struggle and try to find him uh, more times than he really should? I believe that he probably will. But more importantly, I think Baker wasn't exactly super healthy coming out of that game last week. I mean, he talked about you know, how he hurt his shoulder a little bit, how he heard it pop, just that and the other. And this is probably a game in which you know the Browns could probably go ahead and just lean on their rushing attack you know, with Chubb, with Hunt. So I'm going to go ahead I'm going to play Baker Mayfield under the 243 and a half. And look, Baker doesn't always get, you know, the 250 passing yards. You know, if he gets to 300, I mean, go back through his, his entire career. I think I did a free pick video on this, Chris, a couple of weeks ago where Baker, I think, has like total, I'm just going off the top of my head, maybe like 51 or 52 career games in the NFL. And he only has like, it's either like five or eight 300 yard passing games. So it, he doesn't exceed, you know, expectation. He doesn't have those monster type of games. You know, he's in and around that, you know, 100 to 80 to, you know, 240 mark somewhere in that area. Like that's generally like, you know, where Baker's at. But now you're taking a receiver off him. You're adding a new piece who he probably isn't going to have any rapport with. And the shoulder kind of gives me a little bit of pause. So I'll play his under 243 and a half passing yards. And I feel pretty. I feel pretty good about that how you feeling about that game Chris
1: yeah you know that's something that Steve and I talked about a lot on the recap podcast which you can still catch on our feed for free but was uh playing basic looking to play all Browns passing unders I mean the Browns defense in this game should have an advantage over a rookie quarterback making his first career starts I I think that Justin Fields is very talented don't get me wrong but this is one of the biggest mismatches on the board sleepy uh We've got the Browns' defensive line uh, ranked number 12 in the NFL. The Bears' offensive line is ranked number 31. That's a big reason why I really like Justin Fields on his rushing props over. Um, it's too late to talk about that prop right now, Sleepy, because uh, we mentioned on, on, the, on the recap episode, looking ahead to week three, was like the second the books released this line, my guess was that it was going to be around forty. And my guess was that it was going to be steamed up to around 50. That's the same thing that happened in week two with Jalen Hurts' rushing prop, was that it opened around 40 and a half, got steamed up to over 50. It's still cashed. Um, uh, Justin Fields opened right at 40 and a half, got that right on the head, and then it's now at 53 and a half, juice of the over. So uh, I wouldn't play anything more than a pizza bet, like half unit, quarter unit at the most on that. I do think he will get over the 55-yard marker, but it's really tough to make a full unit bet on a line you've lost almost 15 yards of value on in a prop. Uh, And then the rushing attempts as well. I mean, look, this guy came in, played a little bit over two quarters last week in a positive game script, mind you, where they didn't need to run that many plays. Sleepy, he had 13 dropbacks for pass attempts. He had 10 rush attempts. So even if that stays halfway to what it was last week, uh, you're going to see a ton of running from Justin Fields, add to the fact that the Browns defensive line They rank number 5th overall in the NFL in pass rush win rate. They rank number 9 in QB knockdown percentage. And the Bears offensive line, on the other hand, they rank 26th in adjusted sack rate, 27th in sacks per pass attempt. So uh, you're going to see Miles Garrett and the boys really getting after Justin Fields. Half the time they might get him. The other half the time he's going to be running for his life, but he's going to be running pretty well and gaining yards on broken plays too. That actually leads me to a play that I like. Uh, even though it's a risky one, I do like playing Darnell Mooney over on some of his props for this game. And I think if you are going to play Justin Fields in a cash game lineup, you're looking for, you know, I think he's going to be the highest owned cash game quarterback. Cause he's only 5,200 because when the, when the salaries came out, people thought that Dalton was still going to be starting. Um, but if you're looking for an explosive guy to pair him with, I would look to Darnell Mooney. Uh, you know, Mooney's the guy, he out targeted Allen Robinson, eight to four And even though the bears had like less than a hundred yards passing on the day, he had eight targets, six catches, 66 yards. He, he narrowly missed another long reception down the right sideline from Justin Fields in that game. This is a second year breakout candidate in Mooney who really flashed a lot of potential coming in from college. And I think the only thing really even hold him back as a rookie sleepy, as you know, was Mitchell Trubisky. And then obviously Andy Dalton. So This is a guy in Mooney where the matchup is going to be pretty solid against the – I'm not afraid of the Browns' secondary. And with the Browns projected to have a a big lead in this game, uh, Fields is going to be throwing it, and he just might have more of a connection with the younger Mooney than he does with the veteran Allen Robinson. So to me, when I look at the prop lines in this game here for running backs and wide receivers on DraftKings, man, I think there's a lot of value on Darnell Mooney. 40.5 receiving yards at minus 125. Uh, Even the receptions for Mooney – Um, although I'd rather play the yards because he is that type of big play threat. Uh, One broken play, which is why I like this, because one broken play from fields where he outruns Miles Garrett, there's going to be some coverages that break down down the field. So I I think that could be a really good play right there that could even cash early for Darnold Mooney over on the yards.
0: All right, I like that too, Chris. You kind of talked me into that one. Maybe I could talk you into this one. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to play Kareem Hunt over his 34 and a half rushing yards look I think Chubb is great I would probably say one or two running back in the league I think he's that freaking good I really do but I I don't believe that the Bears with fields are going to be able to keep this game probably relatively close I think there's going to be mistakes Chris to get made I mean it's a rookie quarterback you know going on the road against a defense who you know is really salivating to go ahead and show up and have like that big big game to where you know they they came into the season really hyped, and I believe this is a game that they they go out there and they just put a ton of pressure on this kid. And we've seen rookie quarterbacks struggle. I mean, look at what Zach Wilson you know did last week four interceptions. Trevor Lawrence hasn't looked great. You know Mac Jones has been pretty good, but uh, there's still mistakes that are made. And I think that you know Fields is going to make mistakes, and the Browns are more or less you know they're going to capitalize on that. But I don't see any reason why they need to go ahead and, and run Chubb into the ground you know, in this particular game. So I think one will get extra work from Hunt in that regard. But I believe we'll see Hunt, you know, go ahead and get some extra work. You know, as this game starts to go ahead and get a little bit later in the game, third, fourth quarter, and he's going to rip off a run at some point. And that's one of the reasons why I actually don't mind playing Kareem Hunt overs uh, in games like in that more than likely are going to be scripted like this. One, he'll get the touches. But two, you're going to go up against a defense that's been out there all game long that at some point. They're gonna get tired and if the game's out of reach, they're gonna get dejected. And Kareem Hunt right now to get him in the end zone is like plus one fifteen. So it's telling me more than likely he's probably going to score, but I'm gonna stay away from the the touchdown prop. I think he gets the usage on the ground. I think he probably ends up with, you know, anywhere from nine to maybe, you know, twelve rushes, and he averages, you know, a little bit more than three yards a carry. So for me, it's just addition wise, I think situation wise, everything lines up for Kareem Hunt to go over his uh, rushing yard. So I'll go ahead. I'll do that uh, right now on DraftKings. I see 35 and a half. And I thought on FanDuel, I saw 34 and a half? I could be wrong on that, but I'll go ahead and make it official at 35 and a half. Chris, I'm not sure how you feel about hunt. I'm not sure how you feel about uh, Chubb in this one. What do you think?
1: It's tough because you see the usage last week that hunt winds up with more carries. And like you talked about, you know, he, he has showed explosiveness, even though that Nick Chubb was more than twice as efficient as, as hunt was last week. But Again, if this is a game where we really see the Browns get after it and they're playing with the lead, and not to mention that even though OBJ's back, it's his first game back and Landry's still not there. I mean, they were the, the three tight ends. They were running three tight end sets last week, and they still can be the leading targets uh, in this offense going forward. So I think you're looking at a, a, a team that they know what they have right now, which is a depleted wide receiver core and Kareem Hunt can serve as a wide receiver and a running back, so I, I do think he has boosted value in that situation. It's an upgrade for him. And then if the positive game script comes, they've shown absolutely they, they do not want to run Nick Chubb into the ground. They want to conserve this guy as much as they can because he's, he's a talent, and they want to use him when they really need him in must-win games and playoff-type environment. So um, I think Chubb's always a threat to rip off a long run, but I do think the usage will be there for Hunt. So I, I don't mind him as well as like a he's going to be an extremely low owned DFS play because I, I haven't even, I don't think I've ever seen the price tag between Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt so close. Chubb is 7600, but Hunt's all the way up to 56. So DraftKings, I, I think by them putting Hunt like quote unquote backup running back that high, um, you know, he he's going to go really low owned in tournaments. And he's a threat to score a touchdown through the air and on the ground. So he can be a sneaky play in this game, too. I think so.
0: You know, one of the things that you kind of brought up there, Chris, kind of puts me back to the situation that the Cowboys are in. You know, the Cowboys, they lost Gallup, and they have a two-back committee right now, and I think that that's probably the easiest way to say it, Chris. Like, you know, you alerted everybody how good Pollard was, and you were talking about picking him up and handcuffing Zeke and, you know, even in some leagues, you know, going ahead and and, and using him as a flex guy, thinking he would get some scores, you know, and you were right. But I think maybe that that's kind of – Maybe the approach that the Browns are taking now—they have a wide receiver that's out—and one of the the beliefs that came out of you know the Cowboys with Gallup being out is that's one of the reasons why we saw a lot more Pollard. Well, maybe the Browns kind of take a similar approach, but you don't want to run Chubb into the ground. They have two guys. It's like, you no, know, if Dallas is going to go in the end of the season, now look, if Pollard ends up, you know, breaking out and being amazing, well, then maybe they continue to go ahead and you know go ahead and split time with those guys, but. I think the overall end game pitcher here for Dallas is probably, you know, have Zeke at the end of the season, make sure he's healthy, make sure he's ready to go, make sure his gas tank's full. And I don't see why Cleveland doesn't think the same damn thing. You want Chubb healthy. You want him with a full gas tank at the end of the year. So I don't see any reason why, you know, we don't play Hunt over his rushing yards here. I just think that those two kind of things go hand in hand. I don't know what you've seen with Dallas and, and you know, what we're seeing now with Cleveland, Chris, if that makes sense to you. But, that's kind of what one of the things that I was thinking about as you were talking.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Kareem hunts a guy that the receiving in week one, three targets, three catches for 28 yards. That was in a the game they were trailing. This is a game they're most likely to play from ahead at home against a rookie quarterback. So I don't know if the receiving is going to be there this week for him, but it could be. you see, he he's a guy that they've run in the slot. They've lined him up out wide as a regular receiver. Uh, and he had 13 carries for 51 yards. And, and and he actually had more carries than Chubb, as we mentioned. So was that because the Browns pretty much had that in the bag once Tyrod Taylor got hurt and they knew that they were going to win no matter what against the rookie quarterback Davis Mills? Maybe that was a factor. You know, Chubb only needed 11 carries to get 95 yards and a touchdown as well there. So uh, the fact that three different t- touchdowns wind up getting vultured from the running backs, that Baker Mayfield had a rushing touchdown the fullback, Andy Janovich, had two carries, zero yards, wound up scoring on a one-yard touchdown. And then um, the backup running back, Dimitri Felton, he actually caught a touchdown and had two catches for 51 yards. I, I think that was a little fluky in of itself. So if the Bears can be even somewhat competitive in this game, it's going to help bump up the usage for both Chubb and with Kareem Hunt. And I think the same thing goes, like you said, for the Cowboys where – they're manufacturing touches for Tony Pollard, but when it comes to actual real usage, like Zeke is playing in the two-minute offense. Zeke is playing on most third downs. Uh, Zeke is playing in most long down and distance because they trust him as a pass blocker more. Uh, but every time you put the ball in Pollard's hand, hands, he's so electric, you almost have to give him the ball and make plays designed just for him. So I think in this case, like, the main workhorse is the is the more talented running back in Chubb, whereas in the Dallas case you know, the new, you know, second string running back, so to speak. He's the more talented, more efficient back. And it's going to be interesting to see how those touches wind up working themselves out going forward.
0: All right. So all the stuff on that game, Chris, let's jump over to the next one here. This one might be a little bit tricky because we have two players, two big name players, Deontay Johnson. And then we also have Big Ben, who right now are kind of both on the mend, a little bit of questionable tags here. Pittsburgh, they'll be minus three here at home. We have a total of 44. Chris, this is your Bengals. So I'm going to let you go ahead and talk about them first. I have one play that I'm kind of eyeing. Maybe you'll go ahead and say it. I'm not sure, but I'll go ahead. I'll throw that off you when you get done here. But I don't have a whole lot in this game right now because of the questionable tags right now with the Pittsburgh Steelers players. And it looks like DraftKings are not listing a whole lot. Uh, Quarterback props, there's none for Steelers right now. And some of the wide receiver and running back props are also a little bit thin as well. What do you think about that game?
1: Yeah, for this game, uh, one prop I noticed that was steamed down earlier today was Joe Burrow under pass attempts. And he's a guy that struggled even to get to the mid-30s. And they line, I think they opened him at 37.5 pass attempts. Uh, it was bet down a couple of attempts. I think right now it's sitting at 36.5, but it's, it's juiced like minus 150 to the under there. So, I think the books, you know, are onto something. They're trying to cover some exposure there for a lot of people that were betting that prop there. Um, and, and it makes sense because the Bengals have shown that they're not willing to push the pace and force things on Joe Burrow, you know, coming back from that knee injury from last season. So minus 150, man, like that that's a lot of juice for a prop that's usually line like 120 minus 110. You figure they would just drop it to 35 and a half at close to even money. But we'll see what happens there. That's something I do have my eye on as well. Um, you know, assuming, you know, obviously no Deontay here. Um, I mean, Chase Claypool's a guy. We hit We hit his prop last week, Sleepy, but his prop was 46 and a half last week, and he had 70-something yards. His prop now is 64 and a half. And look, uh, Big Ben, like, he is throwing the ball to Chase Claypool. Chase, he was chucking it deep. But the problem is, can Big Ben even throw it halfway competently down the field and even get semi-accurate targets to chase Claypool, because I believe that Chase Claypool, he's an absolute freak of an athlete and a, and a huge talent at the wide receiver position, but he's stuck in kind of a really bad situation there. But uh, if he's going to be the number one receiver in this offense, because Juju's going to stay in the slot, uh, but if Claypool, if this is going to mean Claypool gets like close to 100% of the routes, because he's still not playing a full 100% of the routes and snaps in this offense, then you could see a really big day from him, and I, I would not be afraid to keep him locked in to my flex spot, uh, my third wide receiver spot in in season-long fantasy leagues. I do think he has a lot of uh, potential uh, for a big blow-up game because of his big play threat ability. So him and Jamar Chase, to me, I I, I am high on them. They're two explosive young talents who we've seen can pop off for long plays. And then Jamar Chase, he's had two long touchdowns already in back-to-back games, even though the usage last week was pretty low. It's interesting, Sleepy, even though we lost on the hook on Jamar Chase last week, I, I put him out at over 54 and a half winds up getting the long touchdown ends up right at 54 yards. It happens. Sometimes those wind up winning out for you too. But the interesting thing to me from that was that like, Ooh, like we're going to be able to take advantage of Jamar chase in week three, but nope, the books increased the, uh, the prop line from 54 and a half to 57 and a half. So that's something I was hoping to take advantage of. But to me it's lined pretty accurately at the moment, even though we're not seeing props for T Higgins, or Tyler Boyd on DraftKings right now. So that's kind of my overall threats. I got my eye on the, on the big play, you know, uh, you know, explosive type of receiver options in these offenses, and uh, it'll be really interesting to me to see how the Pittsburgh Steelers run things with no Deontay because he's the number one target getter in that passing attack. And I think that you know, a lot could go to Juju Smith-Suster, but I think a lot more is going to go to Chase Claypool too. And if Claypool ends up with 10 targets, uh, you know, he, he could really explode even if he just rips off one long play. So that's kind of where I'm at for this game right now.
0: I don't think that Samajp P. Ryan's going to get a whole hell of a lot of work in the passing attack. And we know that the Pittsburgh pass rush is pretty damn good. And we know that the Bengals offensive line isn't exactly the greatest. And I think that, you know, if we go back to week one where Mixon ended up with four catches in that game, well, they won that game. He had a really good game that game. And then they go into week two and they only throw the ball to him once. He had one catch. And he, I think he had, you know, like a handful of yards, a couple of yards. But I have a feeling like they go back to a lot of mixing here for this particular game. And I think maybe it is the passing attack that they try to get him involved in. Now, right now, it's uh, 21 and a half for his receiving yards. His longest reception is, is lined at 11 and a half minus 120. So money came in on Mixon's, you know, longest reception over. I kind of think that the game script and just, the, you know, these two teams, might actually have Mixon being, I don't want to say, like, you know, the, the, the go-to guy, but I certainly think he's going to be used a ton in this game. I don't know. I kind of like his receiving yards over there, Chris. It's twenty-one and a half right now on DraftKings. I'm not sure how you feel about him, but I feel like they go back to the workhorse here who, who got them, you know, a, a week one win, um, and I think he had a, a ton to do with that. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and play that one, but I'm not sure how you feel about Mixon with his uh, receiving yards over.
1: I would actually look, I would prefer to look at Mixon over rushing attempts. It was a prop that I was close to playing in week two. Uh, he's had 20 plus carries in back to back games so far. And even last week, uh, albeit the Raiders were leading in that game, but uh, Peyton Barber and Kenyon Drake combined for 20 carries against the Steelers. And then when you look back at week one against the Bills team that really doesn't like to run the ball at all, uh, they gave Matt Breda and Devin Singletary 15 carries, which pretty much equals about 20-plus carries on any non-Bills team because they just like to throw the ball that much above expectation. So I would look to Mixon rushing attempts. I mean, the only way we're not going to hit that prop is if, like, all of a sudden Burrow turns it over again early and the Steelers jump out to some crazy 21 nothing lead. But even in that case, I mean, look, that's essentially what happened last week, Sleepy, but Joe Mixon still got 20 carries in a game they were trailing almost from the start, and they were trailing by multiple scores late in that game. We we gave him out over rushing yards and he did win that prop for us last week. But I think we go to uh, Joe Mixon rushing attempts. It's something I had my eye on last week. Um, even though that the the Cincinnati passing attack does have a little bit of an advantage matchup in terms of passing grades and secondaries. T Higgins, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd against the Steelers secondary. Cameron Sutton, Trey Norwood. Uh, if Joe Hayden's out, they got a couple back backups in there who haven't been grading that well. So. I think the Bengals can take advantage through the air uh, via their receivers, but I I don't think they go away from Joe Mixon just yet. And I think that he's a guy where even if this game's halfway competitive in a neutral situation, he could get close to the 29 carries we saw from him in week one or maybe somewhere in between where he's getting 25 carries. So for the over on his uh, rushing attempts right now on DraftKings, it's 16.5 minus 135. I don't like the juice there. But maybe we can shop around and find a better number uh, because I do think there is a lot of value on that rushing attempt line personally.
0: I like that, Chris. I think that's even better than the one that I have. The reason being is, you know, 29 attempts and 20 attempts like he's averaging what, you know, 24 and a half attempts a game. And I believe they're going to go back to mixing because they don't want to put Burrow in a situation to go out there and, you know, make himself look bad or go out there and, and lose the game. So uh, I'd be with you on that one. You talked me right into that. I like that as well. I think we'll see a lot of mix in this particular game, and I don't I don't think that there's any reason why we shouldn't see him. And he's probably got, you know, I would say a little bit of a bone to pick, you know, with, with Pittsburgh. You know, if he's playing this well and he's this active, um, he, he's due to have a good game against that team at some point. And I believe that that's kind of – I don't want to say it's his kryptonite, but it's just – it's been a team that he's, you know, struggled a little bit against. But I don't believe he will in this particular game. Let's jump over to Colts here, Chris. They're going to be on the road here. They're going to play Tennessee, Tennessee. Now They're going to be minus five and a half. We have a total of 47. I don't know what to make of this game right now uh, with Wentz up in the air, You know whether he's going to play or not. I guess he's got you know two sprained ankles. It's crazy to think how the hell you would sprain both your ankles, but I guess Carson Wentz did it. I don't know. I would tease Tennessee down. I think that team's for real. I understand it was a week one kind of, you know, they, they didn't look good in week one at all. But they fought their rear ends off last week. I'm only a, a little bit worried maybe about a little bit of a come down uh, for that team. But I don't know, man. I think they're the real deal. Henry's a beast. You know, A.J. Brown, Julio. Um, you got guys. There's, there's offense there. I think they'll put points up on the board against Indy. So I'll, I'll probably end up teasing Tennessee, uh, get them at a point and a half, or at least get them at a pick them. Uh, I feel pretty good with that. But how are you feeling about? Uh, DFS player prop stuff for that game.
1: Uh, I went out in a few season long leagues and I added the Tennessee Titans defense because this, even though their defense is pretty bad, don't get me wrong. Their secondary is one of the worst in the league. But after this, they get the Jacksonville Jaguars and the New York jets in back to back weeks. So this is a defense you can pick up. That's going to be available in probably 90% plus of fantasy leagues right now, no matter where you're playing and you could possibly play them for three straight weeks and get top 10 results going up against maybe Jacob Easton this week, Uh, going up against Urban Meyer in the Jaguars, not even Trevor Lawrence. I just want to say going against Urban Meyer is is advantageous for a defense. And then obviously against Zach Wilson, uh, you know, the rookie in in, in New York. So I I think that I do want to pick up the Titans D. I do want to consider streaming them uh, this week as well as maybe playing them in DFS, depending on what the ownership projections are looking uh, to be like. So uh, I, I do like the Tennessee Titans defense here in terms of fantasy and DFS. With the Colts' offense, you know we don't know what this offense is going to try to do. Right in Week One, they gave forty percent plus of their targets to the two running backs, Jonathan Taylor and Naheem Hines, and the and the matchup with the Rams last week, uh, you know that basically projected projected us to have a very similar uh, approach for Indianapolis and throw into the running backs a lot with the pass rush from L.A. And they went in the complete opposite route. They gave twelve targets to Michael Pittman. They gave eight targets to Jack Doyle coming out from the dead there. But, uh, you know, I think this is a team, I mentioned this to Steve, where I tried to predict what they were going to do in week two based off the week one usage, and I thought the process was there, and it it was just a miss. And if I didn't bet that game, I would have won and and been in the black for my entire prop card, but me going heavy on that game like I did, basically losing all five of the props in that game, sometimes the correlations work out in your favor. Like last year, there was a lot of games where I would go quadruple dip with all the Washington running backs, uh, so those things work out in your favor more than not when the process is there, but that's a, pro- that that's a prop where my correlation uh, was wrong last week. So I'm not going to come out and try to predict what they're going to try to do with Jacob Easton under center, especially um, Tennessee wise. Like this is the week where you want to go to AJ Brown as a ban- as a bounce back candidate and a buy low in fantasy. But the problem is like, if they're going up against Jacob Easton, like this guy might, might not be able to move the ball down the field. So I'm very worried about the Titans even needing to do anything on offense to win this game here uh, and, and improve here on the season. So, you know, with these next three games coming up, they could easily be at four and one sitting atop atop their division very comfortably. So A.J. Brown last week had a 42 percent air yard share, but he only had three catches for 43 yards. But he did have nine targets and 172 air yards. Julio Jones, he had a decent game too, 100 plus yards. He had a touchdown overturn. so he could have had an even bigger day. So these two guys, I think like, like you want to buy in them uh, more often than not. They're great stacking partners, but I just don't know if this is the week to do it. And if A.J. Brown doesn't do something in the first half, I- I'm very concerned that they just might use Henry to run out the clock in the second half of this matchup here. So it- this is a game I'm really being cautious of with props. Uh, and I think Derrick Henry's prop line is going to open up at like 105, uh, similar to st- uh, uh, in-, in types of game scripts we saw last year. We would see his line be 105, even close to 110. And I'm just, I can't bet overs on numbers that high. So this might be the one game. I, I just don't have any prop plays for the week. But again, Tennessee Titans defense, absolutely worth a play in week three.
0: So, Chris, I do have to get my money's worth out of you since I got you on the podcast. I have a situation right now with one of my season long leagues where I have Paris Campbell on my bench and he's just sitting there. And I can go ahead and I can pick up a couple tight ends. This is a tight end heavy league. Uh, Jack Doyle's out there. Uh, Max Williams out there. There's a couple other names out there. And I'm sitting there thinking, do I hold on to Campbell? Because it doesn't seem like Wentz really cares much about him. And I know how much Wentz likes tight ends. And I start thinking, well, T.Y. Hilton's probably going to come back sooner or later. And then I notice how much they kind of like Naheem Hines right now. I'm also notice how much they like Pascal. And I'm like, well, where does Campbell fit in? Does he fit in better in my season long than a tight end who... You know, I'm getting one and a half points per catch. And I think there's guys out there who are going to you know, outproduce somebody like Campbell. So I don't know how you feel about that, but I was thinking about dropping him um, tonight or maybe even tomorrow. And I have wide receiver depth there, Chris. I mean, I have Ayuk sitting on the bench. I have a couple other decent players that I would probably rate higher than Campbell right now on my bench. I just don't foresee myself getting him in there unless the Colts end up completely – Just becoming super duper thin at the wide receiver position, as I mentioned, Ty probably going to come back at some point. So I don't know what to do with him right now. So I'm I'm asking you for your advice. You know, what do I do uh, with a guy like that right now?
1: Yeah, yeah, you got to cut him. I mean, this is a guy that was drafted by a different, um, you know, different quarterback he was playing with last year when he got hurt. He's had two straight years now of really bad injuries. I love him as a prospect coming out. Um, and it's unfortunate that he's been dealing with these injuries. I don't even think he's 100% right now. He didn't even get a target in week two. Um, so I, I just don't think that that's something we want to be looking at in terms of Paris Campbell uh, and, and what we can bank on. Or I'm sorry, that, that was my mistake. He didn't get a target in week one. He had three targets last week, but too much spreading the ball around. Now we have the uncertainty at quarterback. I mean, that that ankle injury when it happened with Carson Wentz looked really bad. And then it turns out that both of his ankles are banged up. I saw him grabbing his shoulder in that game. He might have, he might've be dealing with three different injuries right now. And he wasn't even a hundred percent coming into the season. And, and that's a whole nother story for another day, whether he's even any good or not anymore. So um, I, I would drop Paris Campbell to me. Like you said, T Y Hilton's coming back. Uh, Michael Pittman's the number one receiver. You've got to running even Marlon Mack was mixing in last week and he, he was taking away work from Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor, just enough for, for it to make it frustrating for those fantasy owners. So Uh, Yeah, that's a situation I'm avoiding. Jack Doyle, like maybe he could be a guy who comes in and gets you five catches, 50 yards in a tight end premium league. Maybe it's worth a flyer as a depth option at tight end. Um, If you need any type of running back depth, like I would honestly like I I don't even know what your roster looks like, Sleepy. But two guys I've got my eye on for picking up like really deep in leagues this week is uh, Jock Patrick, the guy that the 49ers just signed off the Bengals practice squad. Uh, he was an XFL star, had a couple really good years at Florida State in college. Um, and, you know, he could be thrust into a role where like Elijah Mitchell might miss. Michael Hasey might be out for a month plus. Uh, you know, Trey Sermon got a concussion. They got Trenton Cannon and Jock Patrick on the team right now. And then look at the Los Angeles Rams right now. It looks like that Daryl Henderson might actually miss this week. Uh, and Sony Michelle's had like really bad knee issues in the last couple of years. I don't know how much he can hold up. Uh, I would look to a guy called Jake Funk. In in the in, in the LA Rams offense, this is a guy that uh, was a con- I believe he's a converted linebacker from college that played running back like the last year and a half, or maybe even just the last year of his collegiate career. And his measurables in, in terms of his spark score and a lot of things that he did uh, leading up to the combine and the draft were really impressive for a guy that that hasn't had that much experience playing running back. Uh, he's a guy where like he just might not be he might not get any run with Michelle and Henderson in front of him, but. Henderson's down already. And um, and Michelle might, you know, how long can he really last with a workload? So those are the two guys I'm stashing at the bottom of my benches where I can afford it uh, to give myself some running back depth. Because you never know, man, like having the starting running back in the Rams offense, having the starting running back in the Niners offense, no matter what the name is on the back of the jersey, it's going to be a valuable position. So I'd probably look to there. Uh, you know, unless you're maybe looking, you're absolutely desperate at tight end and you want to pick up a Jack Doyle just to throw him in your lineup.
0: Yeah, I'm not desperate at tight end. My running back position is not actually that bad. I have Sony Michelle, and I just picked up, uh, I just picked up Cordell Patterson uh, from the waiver wire for a fairly cheap price. So I'm pretty good there. And I feel like I just have dead weight on the bench and I have guys that are sitting there, like I had mentioned, like Ayuk and stuff like that, um, that I could probably go ahead And make a move. Let's make a move here, Chris, to the next game. We got the Saints. We got the Patriots. Patriots, they're going to be in a minus three here in this particular game. Kind of a relatively low total for this one. A total of 43. I kind of lean to the under here, Chris, in this game. I I have a feeling like, is Sean Payton going to let Jameis Winston go on the road against Belichick and Foxborough and just whiz the ball all over the place? I don't believe that's probably going to be the case. And do I believe Belichick's going to go up against somebody like Peyton, who uh, we know that that defense for the Saints, at least it looked good in week one. Are they going to put Mac Jones in a situation to go out there and try to rip the ball all over the place? Um, I don't believe so. Alma Kamara last week, Chris had, what, five yards rushing? Um, I would strongly probably consider playing him over. I would even strongly consider playing Harris over. It's one of those two guys, or maybe even both, Chris, for me. Um, to look at their rushing yards over. I just don't see how either of these coaches let either of these two quarterbacks come into this particular game and just let it rip. The line's three. The, the, the total's low. They expect this game to be close. And more than likely, it's probably going to be Kamara on one side and Harris on the other. I think these are two dependable backs. And maybe that's maybe a square because a lot of people might actually think that that's the case. But – I just don't know how you're going to hold Kamara down um, in this particular game. Like he has to be pissed. They have to get him rolling in some type of way. So um, I don't know if you like that or if you like Harris over, but that's the only real way that I could look. Maybe, maybe look at a bunch of wide receiver props under. I think there, there's a shot at that too. Maybe there's some reception props, you know, for guys that have been lined high, maybe they're still lined high. Maybe the market hasn't adjusted. So, I'm just kind of talking through that one, Chris, there. How you feeling about that game? So
1: here's my thought on this. This is like the first note I had when I was making notes for our recap podcast with Steve Reeder, and I was like, just play unders in this game. Uh, this is like Sean Payton doesn't have Drew Brees anymore. Bill Belichick doesn't have Tom Brady. You know, they they, they have young and experienced quarterbacks, even though, you know, Winston's, I guess, isn't that young and experienced anymore. But you know what I mean? Um This is going to be a battle of the coaching minds between Belichick and Peyton, I think playing really close to the vest. And I agree with you, even though the total is so low, I I wouldn't even dare play the over in this game. Um, This could be like a classic, like 10, 6 type of game. I don't know. I mean, it feels like we don't have those games anymore in the NFL, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen because the saints defense is still pretty solid at the end of the day. In my opinion, Patriots defense is above average for sure. Um, and you've got two quarterbacks who they're just they're new to their systems. You know, Winston's new to the system, new to this coaching staff. He's not playing for Bruce Aarons anymore. He's not allowed to let it rip and run like he used to in Tampa Bay. Um, Sleepy, I'd be interested to know, like, if we just screenshotted the entire board for this game for props and just played every single prop available under, like, how would we do? I- I'm very interested to know that. Uh, if there's any tools out there where you can track those things after the fact, somebody let us know, like in the comments or like shoot us an email, uh, Twitter DM, whatever. I'd be really interested to start tra- tracking things like that. We're tracking so many things, but that's something that popped into my mind just for this game alone. And here's an, an extra note for that: is that a lot of people that listen to us and that follow us, they don't always they don't all have access to DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, etc. A lot of these guys are just betting uh, offshore books or like, you know, UK, Canada, et cetera. Um, A lot of – almost all the time in those books, as you know, Sleepy, like those books open these lines and and, and they basically tax these lines. They make them like five, six yards higher for every single position. Um, So if you're going to see that with this game and you're going to get inflated numbers, then this might be one of the very rare opportunities you have to take advantage of an offshore book and actually bet the unders instead of betting the overs. And I think that there could be a lot of value on that for this game. Even with Damian Harris, that's a prop that Steve Reeder gave out to our subscribers earlier this week was betting Damian Harris under rushing yards because of how tough the Saints rushing defense has been for the last two years. Um, The only play that I like personally, Sleepy, it's an over, but to me it's one of the only overs that makes sense, which is James White uh, over receiving yards. And James White, right now, uh, I like it. I liked it when it came out at 33.5. It was bet down one yard. So it moved against me, but that doesn't scare me. I'm just looking at reality and the fact that James White is the number one option in this uh, Patriots passing attack or in the offense in general. He's had 49 and 45 receiving yards in each of the first two weeks. He has a 25% plus target share, which only trails Jacoby Myers by a little bit. And now you're looking at a a Saints defense that they gave up 65 receiving yards to McCaffrey in week two. Even in week one, in their blowout against Green Bay, they still gave up three catches for 20 yards in a game where the Packers essentially gave up. So, this is a team that they play a lot of man coverage. I think you get James White isolated on linebackers against that Saints defense, and it's going to be a really good situation for him. Whereas I think Harris on the other side is going to struggle. So, that's the only over I'm willing to play in this game. I do like that play. Uh, I, I like it probably up to thirty thirty three and a half, 33 and a half, maybe 35 and a half at the most. I think he'll get to 40 for three straight games like he has done so far in the first two weeks. But other than that, I'm only looking unders across the board for this game.
0: You know, what, Chris, you bring up a good point that with white and I'm looking at stuff here and we're, we're, you know, we're talking about unders. I think the white thing helps me make an easy decision on Jacoby Myers under his receiving yards. Now, if you look at his catches for this game, it's lined at four and a half, but there's juice on the under at minus 150. So, okay, so they expect him to catch, you know, the ball four times in this particular game. But the fact that you like the running back makes me feel pretty good that he's, maybe he'll be around that three or four mark. But he's lined right now, Chris, at 49 and a half yards. We'll go through and look at Jacoby Myers on the season. You know, he only averages 8.2 yards a catch. And he's the guy that's going to run, you know, routes. He's going to be the guy that probably gets stuck with Lattimore, you know, a bunch of times in this particular game. I don't like messing around with guys like Aguilar just because he's the deep threat. He could beat you with one catch. Um, and, and I don't think Jacoby Myers is that guy. But if they're having him right now lined at four, his average catch, you know, average yards per catch is 8.2, but they have his uh, over and under at 49 and a half. I think that that might be the play um, to go under. I think that might be one of the wide receivers to go under on. Uh, I don't want to make that official yet, but there's a good chance I might go ahead and wager on that.
1: One last thing to caution people wanting to bet any overs in this game. Uh, Again, the white thing to me, that lines up and makes sense, but I do like that thought on Aguilar and Jacoby Myers um, where New Orleans, so, so far through two weeks, New Orleans is running the seventh slowest offense in the NFL, averaging just 51 and a half plays per game. Uh, The only team handing off to the running backs more than the saints have so far is the Cleveland Browns. And we talked about their situation already. Uh, So now they're going basically they're they're, They have their third straight road game ahead of them. They haven't even played at home yet. Uh, And the Patriots are playing very slow as well. Like they're not, they're not running any no huddle They're They rank 20th out of 32 teams in situation neutral pace. So these are two teams that like to run an offense that's slow and that's very methodical. So you're just not going to see that many plays in this game. And if it's a close game from the start, uh, these teams are going to try to grind it out on defense and, and with running the ball. So uh, maybe the only thing that can get there is like rushing attempts in terms of overs. But, yeah, everything else for me, I, I agree with you. I do like the play on Myers. I think all the the wide receivers, like, look, who has the highest lines in this offense for overs? And I would go unders on them. Like maybe the tight ends are like too low. Like maybe if Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry are like 22 and a half, maybe you just don't want to bet that under because it's already so low as it is. But I would look at the highest numbers on the board for the receivers and just try to pick those off and, and bet those under in this game. If the juice isn't too bad.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do that. Chris, I'm going to play Jacoby Myers under uh, 49 and a half yards. Jump over to Falcons and Giants. Giants right now minus three total 47 and a half. Uh, a lot of people have been, Jumping on uh, Daniel Jones, Chris. I don't know how you feel about him right now uh, with fantasy. But uh, my buddy dropped Big Ben and picked up Daniel Jones. He did that. Not sure how you feel about that. But I think, you know, the rushing yards with Daniel Jones has been really helping him out. Not sure if we will be able to go ahead and do that in this particular game. But he's been throwing the ball a ton. I 37 throws in the first game. I think he had like 34 in the second. So. Uh, Not sure how you feel necessarily about him, but going up against this, you know, this Falcons defense, the Falcons defense stinks. They're absolutely brutal. They have Daniel Jones lined right now at two hundred and fifty nine and a half. I'm guessing you're going to be looking at some Giants guys in this particular game. I wouldn't even be shocked if you're looking at some Falcons players either, because the Giants defense hasn't been good. I could see a a positive game script here for us. Chris, probably go and look at some overs in this one.
1: Yeah. Um, one of the props we gave to our subscribers earlier in the week was Darius Slayton over 34 and a half receiving yards opened up at 33 and a half got steamed up really quick as we were making our bets personally, wanted to get that out as soon as possible. The buy price, I list buy prices with all of our props. Now. Um, I put the buy price for that at 38 and a half. That's what it is right now. So I I do still think there is a little bit of value uh, on Slayton. We we have him projected in like the mid fifties for yardage because the, the Giants are running a lot of three wide receiver sets, and, and Slayton's not coming off the field. It's it's Shepard in the slot, and it's Galladay and Slayton out wide, and Gallaudet is going to command more attention from opposing defenses than Slayton is. So I think you're seeing a perfect situation for Slayton, who's a young receiver, a lot of talent. He's, he's flashed and had a lot of big games in the past, uh, and now he's getting a situation where teams can't really pay that much attention to him. So uh, whether Evan Ingram returns to the offense or not and plays a role this weekend – it's kind of irrelevant because Slayton's locked into his role. So uh, we have a decent over-under total, you know, softest, maybe the softest secondary in the league, at least the the worst secondary the Giants have played so far. I mean, they've opened up with the Broncos and the Washington football team. Uh, You know, Slayton, he had 54 yards in week one, 65 yards in week two, and even just his long catches got him 33 yards and 42 yards in each of those games. So I do like Slayton a lot. And then another prop that I'm starting to come on to a little bit uh, as the week goes on, and it hasn't moved, but it's that plus money, is Sterling Shepard over five and a half catches. This is a prop that we hit uh, in week two on Thursday Night Football. We hit him over four and a half, and he, and he crushed that prop pretty easily, Sleepy. So the fact is, is that the matchup improves. The Falcons run a zone-heavy type of defense. And that kind of fits perfectly into what Sterling Shepard does in the slot. So he could even be a guy that gets loose for a couple deep plays as opposed to the shallow A dot that he sees overall as a whole. So I do like Sterling Shepard. I think there's a lot of value on the five and a half at plus 110. If it was close to even money, it might be something I want to avoid. But he's clearly locked into the number one receiving role in this offense here. And with the way the Giants are moving the ball and not much competition in terms of the defense they're facing this weekend, uh sterling Shepard to me has a lot of value a guy that he's had 19 targets in two weeks he's had 16 catches so he's averaging eight catches a game gets a better matchup you know is evan ingram really going to come into the to the offense and and take that much work away from Shepard in his first week back maybe down the road he will but i don't think so in this game so i I do like the value there in addition to the slate and prop that i mentioned uh and then barkley for me man dfs I don't know how high Barkley's going to be owned yet. I haven't taken that close of a look at all the ownership projections yet. But if Barkley's even modestly owned for this game, I, I really want to be getting in, him into my lineups because I don't know if we're, we're. This is like to me is like the ultimate smash spot for Barkley, where you know he played almost all the snaps, got all the work last week on a short week coming off an injury. Now he gets more than ten days rest playing against one of the worst defenses in the league. Uh, this could be the ultimate spot for Barkley to do damage both through the air. And on the ground, um, you know, his, his rushing yards prop is a, is around where we have him projected, but that's still a prop I would probably be willing to attack. And at sixty five hundred, man, like I don't know, like he's 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 a guy that could that could break off two long touchdowns and get you thirty plus forty plus fantasy points. So I think the ceiling is massive, and I, I might even force him into my. He's going to be in my top ten in fantasy. He might even get borderline top five status in my ranking. So I'm, I'm really high on those three guys in this Giants offense.
0: Well, I like the fact that you brought up Barkley, because I figure, you know what, Chris, this is probably the time for us to buy extremely low on him. The the stock on Saquon probably isn't going to be any lower, you know, throughout this entire season. And the reason being is because this game is probably going to be the one that's like, oh, Saquon's back. You know what I mean? So um, I would actually use him as an anytime touchdown score. I can get that right now on FanDuel at like minus 145. Yeah, there's chalk there that you have to eat, but I don't believe that Saquon's going to go into, you know, his third game where now it's like, okay, finally, you know, we got our guy back. He get a couple games under his belt. I don't see how Saquon doesn't hit, you know, the end zone. And, and you're talking, Chris, that he could break off, you know, one or two big rushing touchdowns or maybe even receiving touchdowns. So I, I like that play. And a lot of the reason I like that is just because I think the Atlanta defense, one, they stink, but they're just boneheads, man. Like, they're all over the place. They're never in the right spot. And when you have, you know, guys that aren't in the right spots, it's like, well, I'm just dump it down to the running back. He'll be out there, you know, for a quick, easy screen. Um, so I'll do that. I'll, I'll eat chalk with Saquon because I feel like I'm buying extremely low, and I feel like that, like Chris said, this is a smash spots for him. And if Chris is talking Saquon touchdowns, um, I think that's just an easy prop for us to attack. So uh, I'm gonna go ahead and do that, Chris. I feel pretty good with Saquon getting in the end zone here. And, uh, you know, and I think his stock is going to be, you know, higher and higher and higher, you know, as the weeks go by, because you got to give the guy a little bit of time, man. He tore his knee up, you know, he's coming back. He wants to go ahead and just, you know, see how he feels. So I'll do that. And I I know you don't like touchdown props there, Chris, but I'm guessing that's one that you probably would be like, all right, sleep, I'll let you go.
1: You know, it's, it's just one of those situations where like he has that big play potential and, I'm very close to playing the over on his rushing yards. It's just that uh, he's been it's been bet up one yard, so nothing crazy. It opened at 61 and a half. Now it's 62 and a half. You know, I don't think that's going to make or break you. That the fact that falling on one of those numbers there is very rare. But I mean the upside is absolutely there for Saquon Barkley. And and I think the Giants as a franchise, as an organization, they really want to have this guy have his like coming out coming out party so to speak in this offense all the criticism that they've had over the last couple years and now all of a sudden what if Daniel Jones lives up to his draft pick and actually plays well he adjusted completion percentage through two weeks Daniel Jones is in the top five in the league he has he has a 70 percent plus adjusted completion percentage he's been playing his ass off and he's been running the ball well too and that was a prop I liked at at the beginning of the week where it, these are borderline props for me. I'm not sure if I'm going to add them to my card or not, but I, I, my eye is on them. And I just have to dig a little bit more into the matchup, into the research, but his line has moved up one yard. It opened up at 25 and a half rushing. It's now at 26 and a half. Uh, that might not be too, too bad plays to get where Jones and Barkley on a good day, they could rush for like hundred, 150 plus combined together. Right now they're combined rushing yards. If you look at the two lines, it's implying they're gonna get, I think, eighty-nine yards. So the potential's obviously there. The matchups there. Uh I'm I'm really high on the Giants this week. I, I think I think the Giants might come out and, and and smack the Falcons in the mouth on both sides of the ball. Uh, but I am expecting the Falcons to have a bounce back offensive game. I think they will keep pace and uh I, I would lean to the over. I think there could be a lot of fantasy goodness in this matchup.
0: Yeah, I, I love the over in this particular game, Chris. I think the Giants, you know, the fact that they're at home, the fact that they're 0-2 and you know, Barkley sitting there on the shelf there just waiting to get used up and have a monster game. And for Daniel Jones to go out and have a monster game. It kind of just lines up for me, you know, with with the Giants probably going out there playing really well and being like, you know what, all, all hope's not lost. And they played, you know, arguably two of the top five defenses in the league to go and start the season out. I mean, played Denver, not easy. Played Washington, not easy. And this is going to be in my opinion, just because the Falcons are all over the place and never in the right spot. There's going to be a breath of fresh air probably for a lot of Giants players and probably you know a lot of the Giants fans. So uh, I'll continue to go ahead and look into that one, but uh, I'll officially give that out. Saquon Barkley will hit the end zone uh, minus 145. At least I hope he does. I think he will. Let's jump over to Dolphins and the Raiders there. Chris Raiders going to be at home minus four and a half. We know the situation right now with the Dolphins. Tua, cracked ribs, will not play in this game. We'll go ahead, he'll get the start. We have a total in on this one. Forty-four. Chris, I'll give you my play that I like. I like the Raiders in this one. I think they come out here and I think they smack the Dolphins around a little bit just because I feel like the Dolphins going on the road in this type of environment. And for anybody that, you know, watches the Golden Knights, you know, the NHL team for Las Vegas, teams do not win there. And I don't know why. There might be something something going on where teams just aren't used to, you know, being in Vegas for a game. I don't know, but I don't like the Dolphins at all in this one. I think the Raiders, you know, look, go and they really look to go 3-0 and and win impressively and, and give people a lot of hope. So uh, I do like the Raiders in this one, minus four and a half, doesn't scare me. Uh, I would lay up to, you know, maybe six and a half in that particular game. But what props are you looking at for that game, Chris?
1: Well, I do notice that DraftKings has a lineup for Henry Ruggs rushing yards. And it's over under zero and a half. Last year, Henry Ruggs hit the over on that prop one, two, three, four, five times. He went under eight times. So five and eight to the under and then one and one so far this year in a game where I don't know if the Raiders are going to have to really do much to win this game. I mean, obviously, like Brissett under center in Miami, I can't see the Dolphins. Being that competitive in this game, especially with it being in Las Vegas, like you mentioned. So, um, you know, we hit that Sterling Shepard prop uh, on Thursday night football last week, you know, outside of the outside of those Washington running backs that I got wrong. Th- those are the two props we got right with Sterling Shepard. And I, I looked at the numbers Sterling Shepard had gone under zero and a half rushing yards, like 77% of the games in his career. And even when you look at a wide receiver with that prop up there, um, you can get a wide receiver sweep and it can lose yards. So even if he got a carry, it could still lose yards. And if you're talking about a positive game script for the Raiders where they just might rely on the run, maybe Peyton Barber gets like 15, 16 carries in this game. Um, I just don't know why they would need to do that with Henry Ruggs. So That's something I got to look more into that in, in terms of the Dolphins' defense side of things. But I, I would almost always want to bet those unders for the, receiving, the receivers with the rushing props over under zero and a half. So that's my first thought looking at the top of the board there. Uh, and I would be interested to see uh, will the will the books release the rushing attempts prop uh, for the Raiders running backs because right now all we have is Miles Gaskin over under nine and a half on DraftKings. The fact that Peyton Barber got thirteen carries in his first game for the Raiders against the Steelers last week on the road, I mean, if they're playing against a you know basically quarterbackless team in the Dolphins this weekend, uh, Peyton Barber should get easily that amount if not more. And I can't see the line. Be, being like more than nine and a half, ten and a half. So I will be looking to attack that depending on what the opening line is there. Um, this is a game where I could see a lot of unders again. I mean, the dolphins have a solid defense. They're good in the secondary. And I don't know if, if this is a really a great matchup to attack. Like the Raiders. Yeah. They've been throwing the hell out of the ball for two weeks, but they've had to, they, they've had competitive games against the Steelers and the Ravens. Will this be, will this game be competitive enough? I mean, Derek Carr, 900 plus, uh, passing yards or, or right around 900 passing yards through two games basically leads the league by a lot or 800, excuse me. Um, but will he need to throw that much? I, I don't know. The Raiders' defensive line ranks number 13 in the NFL. Dolphins' offensive line sleepy ranks dead last. So I expect the Raiders to get after Brissett in this one. Uh, you gave out a prop a couple of weeks ago on Raiders' sacks. I would definitely be interested in betting that as well this week because Brissett was, I believe, sacked three or four times. Uh, in limited action in week two. So those are just some of the things that I'm looking at here overall. And, and another matchup I've got my eye on is Devontae Parker playing his unders, especially if Will Fuller's back. Um, Devontae Parker's going to be lined up against Casey Hayward for the Raiders. Like this Raiders defense is pretty good this year, man. And they're actually blitzing at like the lowest rate in the league, but they're still generating a ton of pressure. So if they don't need to blitz and they're getting that pressure against a quarterback like Brissett they're going to be able to drop back in coverage. And I I don't know if the dolphins can even score uh, or even get any drives going uh, in this type of situation. So I would look to play unders across the board for the dolphins uh, and maybe even the Raiders for for their receivers, because the dolphins have good defensive backs and maybe the Raiders just run this thing out and win this thing with their defense. Uh, I like Carr under pass attempts. I, I don't know. The line was set too high because basically like he hasn't needed to throw. Like I said, but, you know, in this type of situation, like you're absolutely not gonna need Carr to throw the ball to win this game. That thing was steamed down fast uh with, with his pass attempts. It was like it opened at thirty seven and a half. Now it's down to thirty two and a half. There still could be value there. Uh even though, you know, you lost a lot of the value on the line. So that, that's kind of my overall thoughts for this game. I really hesitate to bet any overs on the border, even play anything in DFS. I, I don't think I'm touching this game for DFS purposes.
0: I actually like Miles Gaskin over his rushing and receiving yards for this game, Chris. I think that, you know, if you go back to what he did in week one when Miami got a win, they have to go back to the well with him. I mean, last week he was barely used. They didn't even score. You're bringing Brissett in, and Brissett was like, what, you know, 60% or somewhere around there 50% last time that he went out he was 24 for 40 for I mean he only had like 160 or 170 yards in that game so I don't know what they do with him um and as you mentioned you know the Raiders defense in, in some way shape or form Chris I think I think they're improved but I think that there's a team that can go and move the ball on them maybe it's Miami maybe it's the running backs that's just kind of what I what I'm thinking here you know, me and Steve were actually talking a little bit, and he mentioned something about Gaskin. And I started thinking about it, and I'm like, you know what? Miami might actually just use some of their their more trusted guys. I don't think they're going to use a whole hell of a lot of you know Malcolm Brown and and Ahmed and stuff like that. Like they got to go to their to their workhorses. They got to go to the guys that they believe in most. I guess maybe the only concern is that it is a a backup quarterback. I don't know. Um, yeah. That that worries me. That that part worries me, Chris.
1: You know, just going back to that, I'm I'm making this a bet for me. Uh, Devontae Parker under 45 and a half yards. Uh, Will Fuller's back. He practiced today. He he was out for a personal reason this past week. It seems like everything's good to go. He was obviously out the week before from his suspension. Uh, this is a new weapon to get into the offense. He's the deep threat. And again, as I mentioned, like the projected matchup, potential shadow matchup puts Devontae Parker on. Casey Hayward, who's a very talented defensive back for the Raiders. So downgrade for the matchup for Parker, uh, downgrade at quarterback as well. And the pressure that the Raiders are going to be able to get on Brissett, um, he's the highest guy on the board right now. Even Jalen Waddell is a yard lower than him. So I, I do like the under uh, for Parker. Even though the Dolphins are going to be a negative game script, I still don't know if that matters with the matchup. So Parker last week, uh, even with the situation where they were down 35 to nothing, he had nine targets, I get it, but he only caught five of them and he had 42 yards. But I think adding Fuller into the mix and adding the shadow coverage to the mix, uh, that makes things even more difficult. So I, I do like that play, under 45 and a half for Parker. I I don't know if i go any lower than that, but, but I, I do like it where the line is right now, minus at minus 110 on DraftKings.
0: All right, let's jump over to our next game here. Chris, that was a difficult game to actually kind of talk to a little bit. I think one of the reasons is, I think we think the, that the Raiders players are are a little overvalued right now because of the way that they've been playing, and we know that the the Miami defense is you know probably you know pretty good, and then you add Brissett in there and it kind of just throws you know a whole lot of wrenches into that one. Let's jump over to the Broncos and the Jets. Jets last week um, they didn't look good at all. I mean Zach Wilson was, or I think he had more interceptions in the first half than he did completions. Uh, he was just absolutely brutal. They're going to be catching a bunch of points here on the road. Broncos are going to be minus minus ten and a half, over a 42. Bridgewater's look good. I don't think there's anything you could take away from Teddy right now. Teddy covers spreads. I mean, go and look look at his ATS margin. I don't know what to do with this game, Chris. I think a lot of people probably think that the Broncos are going to end up uh, winning this one and winning it comfortably. I know one of the props that we tried to give out last week was uh Williams running back for the Broncos over his uh rushing attempts and you had said you know if, even if it's at this you know we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll we'll go ahead and we'll bet that over I don't know how he did last week I remember glancing at it and I think I was like oh yeah Chris would have been right on that one so yeah we we,
1: we got it sleepy we snuck it in All there right. we, we hit we hit it It was available offshore and everything at the end it was ten and a half. and we, we hit the rushing yards prop on him and the carries prop so So far for this season, we're officially three and zero on Javante Williams props.
0: All right. Well, I'm I'm guessing we're probably going to talk a little bit about him, you know, for this particular game. So I'll let you go ahead and open it up, Chris. I don't know if you watched that game or what you saw from, you know, Williams or what you've seen from, you know, that Broncos offense. But my gut feeling says that they don't slow down here. They're at home. They know they're going up against a Jets team that's pretty bad that uh, could potentially turn the ball over. So I don't know how you feel about the Broncos right now, but I wouldn't rule out this team trying to go out there and get a big win, a big point total, uh, maybe in the 40 point range. I don't think they let off the gas in this particular game. That's just my gut feeling. And it's, you know, mostly because the Broncos haven't had an offense to, you know, go ahead and put points up on the board, but they have to be confident right now with their wide receiver core and, you know, with what they're getting from uh, Sutton and the running backs and especially with Teddy. So, uh, I'm not sure what you think about that game, but what do you got?
1: Um, I do like Michael Carter over receiving yards. Uh, opened up at six and a half. Uh, they took it down after we gave it out and it got reposted at eight and a half, nine and a half. I still think there's value there. Uh, we've seen you know, rookie running back, profiled as a pass catching back coming out of college, has good draft capital, was having a really good camp right up until the end of the offseason where – Uh, The veterans started working in a little more than him, I think just because the experience there to start off the season. But the last two weeks he started to emerge as like, you know, not the lead back necessarily, but like the 1A to Ty Johnson's 1B. Um, Michael Carter's snaps have increased. His routes run have increased. His overall touches, his overall targets have increased. So far in two weeks he's gone from five touches in week one, two targets, 14 receiving yards, Last week he had 13 total touches, three targets, 29 receiving yards. So we just need one catch from Carter. And he's averaging 14 yards per reception already. He's, he's an explosive explosive guy out of the backfield. Played college with Javante Williams. So we're getting the, the the two college running backs here playing together. I think we could see big games out of both these guys. And Michael Carter more of in like the junk time type of role. Um, and I, I, I do want to give out Javante Williams again, Sleepy. But the problem is is that – the line opened at ten and a half, and um, you know, I unfortunately am not at my computer 24 seven to monitor when these lines drop. So by the time I got around to my laptop, the line had moved to 12 and a half. But anyone who's been listening to us, uh, subscriber, non-subscriber, etc., you'll know that we would have played over ten and a half rushing attempts if we w- would have been there right when it happened. So I was a little tilted earlier today when I missed that one. Uh, I don't know if 12 and a half I would play though. And the main hesitation here is that the jets like they are running at the league's slowest situation, neutral pace, like their games are bottom nine combined in snaps played per game. Uh, Their games have produced an average of 38 points per game, which is the ninth lowest in the NFL. Uh, The jets games are averaging a league low 32 points. Uh, So the the 38 was, uh, was the snaps for them. So Basically, like your Jets games are like they're trying to run the clock out in these games. Like they're not that good. I think they know it, especially in it against a defense like this. I just hesitate that there the time is going the time is going to run out very fast in this game. So you might have a couple guys get there and hit their overs, but there's a lot of guys who are gonna be at risk at not doing it because there's just not gonna be enough playing time and, and snaps in order to do it. So at 12 and a half for me, for Javante Williams, it's just the lean at this point. Still consideration for my card. Uh, rushing yards, I, I probably would rather play that. Uh, he's he's showed a little more explosiveness from week to week. Uh, Javante Williams has a lot more explosiveness than Melvin Gordon, for that matter. He's been much more efficient than Melvin Gordon has. So I like Javante Williams a lot in DFS. I've been playing him every week in DFS so far. He hasn't been like losing lineups, but he hasn't been winning them either. But the breakout for him is coming. It's going to come very soon. Uh, And this could be the game. Last week against Jacksonville, Javante Williams had 13 carries for 64 yards, average 4.9 yards per carry. Interesting thing about Jacksonville, Sleepy, is that they're like, I was looking at this crazy stat. I think they're top two or three in the league in terms of their defense stacking the box. Like Urban Meyer, old school type of clowny head coach. He's like, we got to stop the run in order to win these games. Like Jacksonville Jaguars are stacking the box at like NFL high rate right now. And Javante Williams, given that situation was still able to get 13 carries for 64 yards, vastly improved Gordon who had less than half the amount of yards that he did. So I do think there is value. If you want to play a prop on Javante, if you missed out on the rushing attempts, he could have like 11, 12 carries and go for like 70 plus yards in this game. So I do lean towards the over on the rushing attempts, Call it a strong lean right now on the over-rushing yards for Javante Williams. Uh, I do think he has the potential and the talent to break off a long gain, which is why at his price tag, I am willing to throw him in my DFS lineups as an affordable option at $4,900. Um, so that that's kind of my overall thoughts in this game. I'm interested in looking at Cortland Sutton, led the league in air yards last week with no Jerry Judy, and with Sutton healthy, man, like this this guy could be the ultimate steal a guy that I, I faded all offseason in fantasy drafts because I didn't think he was healthy and I, and I was really high on Judy. But situations change and they change fast in the NFL. So I do have my eye on Sutton whenever a prop gets released on him due to the amount of opportunities he had. He had like 150 something uh, yards last week. It could have been 200 plus if he would have connected on a couple balls that just didn't go his way down the field against the Jaguars. So that's my overall thoughts there. And the Denver defense. They're a top of your rankings, Sleepy. You do your defensive rankings column every week for our premium subscribers. And my guess is they're going to be number one again this week, just like they were last week. So I really hesitate to play anything over in terms of uh, the receivers, Corey Davis, Elijah Moore. Uh, I just have no confidence in Zach Wilson right now against this type of caliber defense.
0: You know what, Chris? I'm probably going to end up doing this here is playing both Williams and Gordon over their rushing yards. I could see this potentially being one of those games where, you know, they end up with 180 yards rushing on the ground. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, the Jets stink; um, they're not going to stop anybody. We're going to see more than likely Denver end up, you know, with two backs. And look, I think we, we touched on this, you know, in week one. And then, you know, we talked about it again in week two, where uh, we felt like Williams was going to get a bunch of run in week two. And I, and my, my theory on that was that, you know, let's go back to Cleveland and let's go back to Dallas. It's like, well, why do you want to run, you know, your rookie running back into the ground? Um, You don't. Um, I I don't believe that they do. You know, if you can get work out of Gordon, you can get work out of Williams and and get him comfortable. I think they do that. But I think this ends up being, you know, one of those game scripts where these guys are, are, you know, rotating in and out of the backfield, you know, all throughout this entire game. So if the Jets are, you know, down and out, I could see Williams and Gordon both just getting a ton of touches in this game. I could see these guys getting a lot of touches in this game. Um one to just to keep just to keep Bridgewater, you know, somewhat healthy and just keep him back there, you know, healthy. I mean, are they going to throw the ball and, and run the score up that way? Um they might get there that way, but I believe at the end, you know, Williams and Gordon are going to, you know, they're going to be chewing up, you know, yards on the ground. So, I wouldn't be opposed to playing both of those guys over and I don't see how one of them doesn't get, you know, to at least 56 yards. Um, I feel like both guys probably go out and have really good games. That's just the way I'm feeling right now. Just be
1: careful on the rushing attempts prop. I know that the Gordon rushing attempt prop got steamed up. It's minus 150 at 10 and a half. Javante's 12 and a half. It's juiced to the under, minus 135. And the reason I brought up the whole thing about Jets games being really low volume in terms of snaps, plays overall... Uh, If you look at their first two weeks, Sleepy, like the Panthers only got uh, Christian McCaffrey had a good game. He had 21 carries, 98 yards, but the Panthers only had 21 combined carries all to McCaffrey in that game in week two against the Patriots. uh, The Patriots running backs combined for 23 carries. So 21 and 23 carries from the two teams the Jets have played so far. Uh, That goes to show you that the amount amount of plays and snaps available are going to be at a premium so if you're splitting carries down the middle and let's say the max projection we have is like 24 carries for the Broncos, maybe a little less than that, then you're looking at like maybe 11, 12 carries for each of these two backs. So um, that's why I'm hesitant to play the over on Javante for the rush attempts this week because it's it's pretty much lined correctly in my opinion. Uh, Gordon, I still wouldn't play over 10 and a half, but I, I do agree with you. If you do want to attack them, to me, it's in the rushing yards department. And I think Javante should be lined more than five yards ahead of Gordon because he's just been that much more efficient uh, this season. But I, I don't hate plays on either of those overs either.
0: Yeah, I don't either. I, I'm going to go ahead and do that. I'm going to make both of those guys. I'm going to play both of those guys over their rushing yards. I feel pretty good about that. And I'm not necessarily sure if they don't get those attempts. I think that they, there, there's a strong possibility you know, that they do. Um, I think both of those guys could soar over their attempts and their, and their rushing yards. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll take Chris's uh, recommendation to use some caution. Let's go ahead and look at the Buccaneers and the Rams. gonna be minus one and a half. Total on this one, Chris, 55. I'm guessing you're probably going to talk about Cooper Cup a little bit. Uh, he's a guy that I loved last week. I said, Chris, ain't talking me out of it. He absolutely went bonkers. I had him in my DFS league. Like I said, I, he just has this weird relationship right now. And I saw, you know, in the game against the Bears with uh, Stafford and Cup just have this kind of, they just look like they, like they played together for, you know, many, many years and they look like they played together for a long time last week. So I don't know if you're going to go that way, but uh, I don't know. I think we see some points in this one, Chris.
1: Yeah, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, the, the Bucks defense really hasn't been that good coming out through two weeks. I mean, up until the fourth quarter of the Falcons game in week two, uh, Matt Ryan was playing really well and he, he kind of fell apart because the Bucks D line, just got a lot of pressure on him towards the end. He had a couple turnovers. I think there was a, a, a strip fumble on a sack. So, you know, overall, these are two teams that play at an extremely high rate. Um, and I, the, the, the Rams, if you look at the history of the Rams, uh, I don't know who brought this. It was on a podcast I listened to. I can't remember who brought it up. I, I didn't come up with it personally. But I think it, they said that look at the games that the Rams have played the Bucks in Sean McVay's tenure. And I think he's his offenses are averaging like 50 to like 60 pass attempts in those games it's something crazy he knows that you cannot run the ball against the Buccaneers and now they're down their starting running back uh, in Daryl Henderson and you know how much can you actually feed the ball to Sony Michelle you know that goes without saying so uh, even Stafford at 40 and a half pass attempts uh, I honestly like why not? Because he trusts Stafford even more than he trusted Goff. And if we're seeing games where he's throwing the ball 50, 55 times against this similar type of defense, and now Brady's coming to town and we're seeing the highest over-under total on the board outside of maybe one game this week, then you could see both these quarterbacks going 45, 50-plus attempts in this game. Maybe the Bucks try to run it a little more, uh, but I don't see the Rams trying to run the ball at all. In this game. So I think there's value looking at the completions for Stafford, looking at the pass attempts. I'm not sure which one I like the most so far. They're both juice to the over, and I think for good reason, uh maybe just the passing yards are, are worth it at 309 and a half for Stafford. I, I think could be worse. So I don't want to play all three of them, but I I I do want to dig a little bit deeper into which one has the most value. Uh digging a little bit deeper into the matchups and the trends here between these two teams. Other than that, I mean Cooper Cup opened at 70 and a half. It's now 84 and a half. You don't usually see lines get steamed up that high. I think the book, I think FanDuel put this game out first earlier in the week, and they just put out a really bad line. Uh Cooper Cup could be, he he could really challenge for the overall lead in receiving yards this year. You mentioned the rapport with Stafford. Uh, you know, Stafford has really good connections with his slot receivers dating back over the years, and this is by far the most talented slot receiver he's ever had. Cooper Cup isn't just a slot receiver. He's more of like a Tyler Lockett type of guy where he can go deep if the defense gives him the opportunity to as well. Uh, But I do think that it's opened up value for us in the game with a 55-point total. uh, I think we're getting a lot of value on guys like Robert Woods and Van Jefferson. Robert Woods bounced back from week one. You know, wasn't really used much in week one. You know, still still new chemistry trying to develop with Stafford in a game where the Rams won by 20 points against the Bears. In week two, in a closer game against the Colts, that we saw 50, 51 points total scored, he had nine targets, five catches, 64 yards. Right now, Robert Woods is 63 and a half yards. I think the chemistry continues with him and, with him and uh, Matthew Stafford, and the Bucks have to do, try to do something to scheme Cooper Cup away. I love the prop on Cup at 70 and a half, and my buy price was up to 78, 79. But at 84 and a half, man, that's really pushing it. i probably go like a quarter unit max, being that, being that it was steamed up that high. Um, I, I, I think even the receptions, it's like minus 175. I don't ever want to pay more than minus 150 on any type of prop. Even that's already pushing it more than it needs to go. But that's kind of my overall thoughts there. Dan Jefferson, like he's running like every route available in three wide receiver sets in this offense. And when you look at the trend lines in terms of how, many, how much passing volume we're going to see in this game, uh, I think you could see a value on him at 37 and a half. Robert Woods value at 63 and a half. Uh, Even Tyler Higby, the tight end who had a down game last week. Uh, he's a guy that had a really strong week one and kind of disappeared in that game against the Colts. Don't forget in week one, Tyler Higby had six targets, five catches for 68 yards. So I'm still trying to sort out which of those guys I like the most, but this could be one of those situations where we might just want to play overs on all four of these guys, Cup, Woods, Higby, Jefferson, all four of them overs on the receiving yards. And I would be really surprised if you didn't come away three and one or maybe just sweep the board on that with the amount of volume we're projecting from Stafford alone. So those are the plays I got my eye on most in this game.
0: I don't know what to do with this one because Antonio Brown right now is listed as, you know, testing positive for COVID. I guess he has to show uh, two negative tests or something like that. ESPN has him listed as out right now. So I think that throws a wrench in into, into a lot of things, at least with Tampa Bay. Let me pound my chest a little bit. I told you guys in week one to go ahead and bet Mike Evans in week two. Um, that prop came in because I felt like, you know, Brady has to go ahead. He has to distribute the ball to as many of these guys as possible. One of these guys is going to be lined up on Ramsey, and it's either going to be Evans or it's going to more than likely be Godwin. I would probably consider maybe looking at, Maybe looking at like Bray, Howard, Scotty Miller, if those guys surface um, at some point, uh, if you could find something really low, like maybe one and a half catches or just some really low yardage, uh, maybe looking towards uh, those guys um, and really digging in and, and you know reading a lot of the reports and and trying to figure out you know maybe what's going on in practice or something like that, uh, because I one of uh, Ramsey's going to lock one guy down and Brady's not an idiot; he's not going to go over there and just say oh, yeah, let me just keep trying to attack this guy who, you know, is the best corner in the league when he has enough mouths to feed. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Giovanni Bernard uh, getting a little bit more work in this particular game, maybe out of the passing backfield. Uh, because when he takes somebody like Antonio Brown away, who I think you would agree with me, Chris, he's one of Brady's favorite targets. Uh, something has to change. So I'm not sure if uh, if the Bucks go with two tight end sets in this game, you know, if we see guys like that. So. Uh, I'm gonna wait and see because Antonio Brown's going to be um, something that is going to help me, you know, make a better prediction on what the Bucks actually do. I don't have any problem, Chris, with all the props you have there for the Rams. Um, I'm not particularly high right now on the Buccaneers' secondary, and I don't see how they stop Cup. Um, he's not Stafford's not going to go away from him. They just they they have this chemistry that um, it just looks really good, and I think that that's a positive, you know, for the Rams. So. Uh, I'm just gonna wait and see what happens with Antonio Brown, and then I'll probably decide. You know, on some props later on uh, as we get closer to game time. Let's jump over to Seahawks and the Vikings, Chris. We have the Seahawks right now; they're on the road. Uh, they are a slight favorite, minus one and a half. We have a total of 55, so they're expecting a ton of points in this one. Chris, last week I said, "What do you think about Osborne? You know, is he is he is he you know fool's gold or whatever the case might be? Do we play him under?" And you were like, "You know, be careful." You know, this dude could break out, or, or whatever the case might be, and then sure enough, I think he had the first touchdown of the game. I see him ripping down the sideline. I am like, "There is that guy." I am like, "Damn it!" So anyway, I am not sure if how you feel about him um, if he puts a dent in, you know, guys like Dealing or guys like Jefferson for this particular game. I do lean the Seattle on the money line uh, minus one hundred and twenty, minus one hundred and twenty-five. I just believe that Russell Wilson will make less mistakes uh, in this particular game. And somebody like cousins will make a mistake. And I believe it comes down to, uh, more than likely probably a mistake that's made. And Russell Wilson has a very, very good track record of not, you know, letting, you know, him beat his team or, or you know, putting himself in a position to get beat. So, uh, that's the way I lean there right now. Uh, still like Chris Carson and still think he's, he's undervalued. Is this a game that DK goes off Chris or what?
1: Uh, I mean, it should be, um, but I don't know, man. Will it be? I'm, I'm not really sure. Uh, you know, the, the problem is is that we're not getting a discount on the books for this. Like, I think last year the books were, st- were giving out DK Metcalf receiving props earlier in the season in like the mid to high 60s. We were betting it over every week. But uh, there's a clear chemistry between Russ and Tyler Lockett, and I think defenses are purposely trying to take DK Metcalf away Uh, as much as they can because he's that explosive as as a receiving threat athletically. Um, And I think that, you know, Russ is the guy, he's the type of quarterback. He's just not going to force the ball. And look, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett have had the exact amount of targets through two weeks, but Lockett's the ones is the one that's breaking free for the long touchdown. So of course, DK Metcalf's going to get his sooner or later. Um, Will this be the game? You know, maybe it will. I'm not sure yet. I haven't bet that prop yet. The fact that he's, I don't think the value is there just in the fact that Lockett's been the one blowing up and Metcalf's been the one that's been relatively quiet, but Metcalf is still lined higher than Lockett in the prop market. So I think the books have have, have gotten around to realizing what they need to do there. I I think that's actually correct. Uh, If I was setting the lines for a book, I would be lining Metcalf over Lockett too. Uh, Maybe there's still value on Lockett, but I, I, I just don't know. This is a situation where I'm still trying to kind of feel out Honestly, sleepy, like that was one of my favorite props last week was KJ Osborne. Uh, I made him the poster boy for our hunting the waiver wire article, free fantasy article we put out every week uh, with the help of one of our our contributors, uh, Ben Martinez. So shout out to Ben for the help on that. But man, like KJ Osborne to me is the real deal, like real deal in terms of like he's here to stay in this offense. Like I, I really hope that people keep sleeping on this guy because we could see a decent amount of points in this game at home in Seattle against Minnesota here in week three. His price on DraftKings is $3,500. we have got him projected for close to seven targets. This guy Osborne, he's played 71% of the snaps. He's run a route on 90% of Kirk Cousins' dropbacks, almost a 20% target share. Like, if there's ever a 1A, 1B, and a 1C, it's the Vikings. And what they did last year is that last year they were running two tight end sets with Rudolph and Irv Smith with two wide receivers on the field this year, because they don't have River Smith anymore and they don't have Rudolph anymore. They've gone from 12 personnel to 11 personnel and running and running three wide receivers on the field. So you see a guy like Osborne talented guy coming out of college kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit and he's a second year receiver. And we all know second year breakout receivers profile very well throughout the history of the NFL. So I think KJ Osborne's here to stay. I love him as a low price option on DraftKings. I hope his ownership doesn't get too high so I can get leverage on the field with a high ceiling guy at such a low price. So, uh, DraftKings still hasn't answered my tweet, Sleepy. This was the, the issue I had with Javante last week. Like, I tweeted at DraftKings. I was like, hey, guys, like, KJ Osborne deserves to have a prop line on your board. But we see all these guys Tyler Conklin, Gerald Everett, Chris Carson, Thielen and Jefferson, et cetera, no line for KJ Osborne yet, so I'm patiently waiting on Osborne. And how high will they set it? My guess will be not high enough. I will be looking to play KJ Osborne overs when they come out. Hopefully sooner rather than later.
0: I'm not surprised, Chris. I mean, each and every week we're going to be out there fishing for guys, and you know we're not going to end up you know being able to find them. But uh, you know we'll we'll have to keep on looking. All right, Chris. So I'll certainly go ahead. I'll circle back and double check on. Some of the props that are available for that game. Now, what we're going to do, uh, we're going to go ahead, we're going to save Monday Night Football. We're going to save Sunday Night Football. Chris and I will go ahead, we'll dive into that Green Bay Packer and 49er game, and then we'll also go ahead, we'll touch on the Eagles and the Cowboys. We'll do that in a separate podcast. Uh, we don't want this one going too long, but you guys got all our Sunday stuff. Uh, once again, as always, you guys know where to find us on Twitter at SleepyJ underscore pregame, at Mad Journalist, and you guys can find us at bettingpredators.com and pregame.com. With that said, I'd like to wish you guys all the best of luck in NFL week number three. Enjoy the games.